Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode, or should I say, to some people, like I got to give a shout out to Frank Sarcone in the Monday morning or Monday morning, the Wednesday morning commute that he does listening to the podcast, which probably some of you do as well. Um, so it's not always evening. I don't know why I say evening, Owen. Why do I say evening? I guess it's just a habit. Because right? it's After all these years, for us, and does it does it really matter? Like they uh, know when we're recording in the evening. <laughs> yeah, I they guess they, so. they know what is happening. They know when yeah. we do this. Now, I bet you it didn't even phase them until now. You brought it up until now. So, now I ruined it. Yeah, I ruined job. it. Now oh, we gotta man. do this. And all right, well here we are. Bitch. And um, it's been busted. Yeah. So tonight we uh we have uh, Riley and Terrell coming back uh, to join us. Uh, for a Carpet Python roundtable number two, continuation of where we left off a long time ago, way back, months and months and months and months and months ago. Um, And uh, we're going to get that going. It should be pretty cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. What's going on with you, Owen, before we get these guys on? Oh, we're we're getting rolling with the whole breeding season, getting everybody ready to roll. Dropping temps, doing this, I'm putting some random pairs together, leaving other pairs separate. So it's one of those things where uh, the basic spiral down into breeding seasons was going on here. And I, I spent a bunch of time in my room today because I got to get the whole room ready to roll because I got to do the whole family stuff for the next couple of days. So I won't be able to be down here. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's, uh, it's your basic November reptile room. But, uh, so, you know how, how I've been building those um, six-foot cages for my olive pythons, right? Yes. So, I finished them. And okay. And I they turn out? left them. They looked great for the 5.2 seconds I had both of them completed. So, wait, I wait, 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 wait. I know, right? <laughs> I'm getting there, okay? <laughs> okay. I left them outside, stacked on top of each other. And I went down to go help Andrew do a few other things. And that was a few days ago when we had all that hellish wind blowing all over the place. Oh, God. So the wind blew one cage off the other cage, and it smashed to bits. Like, it, like, exploded. I I came home, and I thought someone had stolen the cage. So I'm like, where the fuck is it? And it had hit the ground so hard that it had burst at the seams and it was laying flat on my grass so that's what ended up happening so i had two six foot cages complete ready to roll and now i'm down to one so wow yay (laughs) lessons learned here 
were they were they hard to put together or no they weren't that hard to put together pretty straightforward at all. It was just cutting cutting and measuring the problem is, is that now because the one that hit the ground they yeah. didn't come apart very gently so now I have to recut the sides and the front which was totally smashed and uh, in the meantime I have to wait in ordering the tracks for the front glass because I got to wait for everything else to be done all at once so basically I now have to push back having those cages completed. So I so think, close. uh, yeah, we're, we, well, we just had all that wind that came through, but, uh, definitely getting cold here. It's definitely feels like winter time. Um, to me, uh, yeah, you know, 30 degree mornings. I don't know if it's just because now I'm in the suburbs or <laughs> if, <laughs> Oh, you feel a little bit more. Well, oh yeah. It's, it's freaking cold in the morning, Philly's, man. <laughs> Philly's well, Philadelphia is warmer. See, when you have that many pissed off people in one small area, they just generate heat. Yeah, so, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, now you're a little widespread, and you, know, you don't have it that much. So, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I was, I was, I was so well for local people, local to Philadelphia. Um, the one uh, uh, Karen Rogers, uh, she shops at my uh, store. And we were talking about the weather. She's a weather girl. Uh-huh. And um, she uh, she was telling me that this winter is going to be a lot. Like last year, we had one big storm, and that was it. Where this year is yeah, going to be not, a lot not, of not this little. Yeah, no, a lot of little storms. So I'm kind of okay with that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I... That's, that's good for snake breeding, right? Yeah, I, I want I want some more. I want babies. I want as many baby snakes as I can get this year. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that stuff. Not cool. so much driving in it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, snakes in it. I I am yeah I'm super uh, not not uh, I'm not super excited. I am not excited at all about my commute to work <laughs> in snow. But you Not have that, at all. You have your truck. Can't you just flip the truck into four wheel and just go for it? I mean, I'm the one who's going to be spinning the whole way. So. Well, that's fine, but a truck doesn't do anything when it comes to ice. You know what I'm saying? So, Valid point. Good. Yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> I'm an I'm an insurance agent. I understand. Yeah. So, yes. You. You of yeah, all people yeah. should understand this. So. I. No, and fire are bad. It's all that's the first day of insurance training right there. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, uh, for people that don't know uh, Terrell and Riley, uh, Terrell is uh, uh, co-owner, I guess, of <laughs> D- Designer Exotics. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't remember how that thing goes. And then I, uh, I Riley, like you were like Terrell is Terrell. I mean. <laughs> Terrell. It's like okay, furthermore, you need more. So. And uh, Riley is uh, Riley's reptiles, um, both of which are on Facebook. Which that is a topic that we will cover tonight for sure. Um, oh, hooray! Uh, right. You probably know what are the the last time they were on uh, a group that they had started called the Carpet Python Discussion Group uh, had just come to light. Uh, since that time, there's been many uh, topics. Um, relating to uh, carpet pythons, uh, people asking questions and whatnot. So 
I kind of we had some questions that we didn't finish on the last time, uh, but uh, this time uh, we broke down the topics into this. Uh, we got the big question, and everybody knows what that big question is. And as soon as we say what that big question is, you will know what that big question is. Uh, I we have, have no some idea questions. What it is. We have some, yes, you do. We have some, okay. you hate this question, Owen. You hate it. You hate it. It makes your patience just explode. I don't want to know it. I'm leaving. I'm hanging up, but I don't want to know the big question. Right. Um, Oh, God, I do know this question. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would know it. All right. Keeping. I'm going to start reading. We're going to hit on some topics as far as keeping goes. We're going to hit on some topics as far as breeding goes. We're going to hit on uh, genetics and morphs. Uh, we're throwing some market talk in there, and uh, we're going to talk about the community, which community was one that uh, came up on the last go around, but we never got to hit on it uh, because we had three hours. So, uh, yeah, so I guess what I'll do is I'm going to read off the questions, and then we'll just uh, we'll debate real roundtable style going back and forth. Um, and see how that goes. So let me let, let me click on um, let me click these guys on, get them going. Okay, Terrell Riley, what's up, guys? Hey, how you guys doing? Yo, hey. <laughs> We're ready for roundtable two. All right, so I'm gonna throw out the questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, Topic number one, and this is the big question, and this is probably, would you guys probably will agree, is probably the most asked question uh, in uh, carpet python groups or, uh, you know, to breeders, uh, etc. And that is, what is my carpet python? Um, (laughs) So, we see this a lot. We see this a lot, so I don't know. I'm curious to see what you guys think about how we can uh, better educate people, to, uh, how we can deal with this question, and it also leads to questions like, how should crosses be labeled? So let's see what you guys got. For me, it's, it's funny because I started in Carpet Python three years ago, and this question wasn't as annoying to me as it is now. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, you hear it, like, uh, listening to you guys, you get asked it a lot. And you're like, well, you can't actually be asked that question a lot. Well, you, act, you get asked that question a lot. And after a while of answering it and leaving the answer open so other people can see it, um, it still gets asked all the time. And it, it makes me wonder how many more times that question can be asked and in what different ways? Because if we on the discussion board say, Hey, this is what it probably is, but there's no guarantee. They'll ask it in a different way. Like how many, how many ways can you ask this question? No one's going to be able to tell you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, it seems like that's a question that, uh, and when you give somebody the answer, which is the typical answer that somebody in the, uh, you know, carpet python world will give. It seems that that answer is not good uh, enough. 
you know? Yeah. And, and then they'll go ask somebody else or they'll take a screenshot of what you said and then get a second opinion from somebody else. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so what do you think, Terrell? How do, how do we, how do we, what do we have, to, what do we have to do to get people to, you know, try to understand what's going on there? You know, I figured with the discussion board, people talking about it, a central place to actually have a discussion about that particular topic, it would eliminate the question being asked so much. But I I don't see it stopping. I actually feel like it's asked more now than it was before. So what I've been doing is taking animals that look similar to each other and doing like a kind of like a word document because I want to put out a, a PDF that's on the discussion board. These animals look similar. One of them's a pure, one's not. You can't tell which one it is unless we told you. So looking at, if you're looking at these particular things and these traits, you can kind of get an idea, but you'll never know. And kind of walk people through how we arrive at, you'll never know that the answer to that question instead of just saying it. Cause they, no one seems to believe you when you say that. Yeah, it's like they think that uh, carpets have a specific look. And I have to say, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have to say that when I first got into carpets, a Darwin and an IJ looked very similar. I couldn't really tell the difference between an IJ cross and an IJ, uh, a pure IJ, uh, you know. But as you, you know, begin to look at these animals over and over again, you know, you start to see certain things that stick out um, yeah. that, you know, that you can tell just by looking at it. I mean, that's my experience. Yeah, I mean, right it's not going to work in every single case, but yeah. for the most part, you can kind of pick out things that would indicate that it may be this species or this subspecies. <laughs> right. But yeah, those exactly. things can be faked or can, be, can throw you off. I mean, I've hatched coastals that have the same kind of yellow that you would kind of see in a jungle and they're pure coastal so you can mm-hmm. sit there and say so throw these animals up there and the problem is that everybody wants to hear something and this is how you always end up having somebody trying to sell you a carpet python on a show and they automatically come up and they say oh it's a diamond jungle cross with a red coastal I'm like who the hell told you that oh i just know and it's because they threw up a picture and someone who had more than four carpet python pictured on their Facebook page told them this, and that's what they're going with because that sounded cool. So that is, I think, the problem is you see a lot of that when it comes to what is my carpet python is they're trying to figure out what it is so they have an answer to tell people when they're asked what kind of carpet python it is. And rarely ever is the answer going to be a pure animal. It's they're looking for the words to say out of the, the mixes. So that's where it's going to go. And that's why I think it's asked more often now is because the popularity of carpet pythons has risen. So there's more of them out there with question marks that are trying to be offered up for sale or trying to be found out about. So, you know, when was the last time one of those pictured carpet pythons that had that question tagged to it was like, oh, my God, it's up your this? Never. Exactly. Never. <laughs> Never, ever, ever, ever. It's always a cross. It's always a mix. So mm-hmm. that's that, what it is. I think you get a lot of um, 
you got a carpet for cheap or you got it in a trade and mm-hmm. you want it to be special. And yeah. it's just not. So you're trying to put a, a value to that animal when it, it's, it's just what it is. It's not, no one's going to tell you that you found the missing link to make something cool. Yeah. It, it, everybody thinks they have, they have perceived value. They want, everybody wants their retick to be like a platinum tiger retick when they break it through the goddamn retick. So yeah. same thing goes with carpet python. Everybody wants that carpet python they got in the trade. Like, oh man, that's a jag. No, it's it's not. Or yeah, it's a jag. It's just a jag. So even then, I rarely ever see jags. Uh, it's usually always just some mud yep. kind of mixed carpet. It's never a morph established to it. It's never anything else. So they want the long title so it makes their carpet python sound cooler instead of it's a carpet python. Should be glad it's a carpet python, you know. Yeah, that seems to have lost its place and what we do. That it's just a carpet python. It can't be cool that it's just a coastal or it's just yeah. a not not so bright jungle. It has to be something like to wow other people. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's kind of the same mentality of why people can't go get a dog from the pound, and it's just a mm-hmm. dog. They have to know what the hell made up this dog so that when people ask, they go, oh, he's like a standard poodle husky mix. Who gives a shit? It's a dog. So yeah. we know what a dog is. <laughs> but <laughs> I digress. I also think people are lazy, just straight up <laughs> lazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Um, you know, people get something, they get a snake, because it was cheap or because it caught their eye or because it was a gift, whatever. The intention could be completely harmless and totally genuine. But then they're sitting there going, well, how do I explain this to my friends when they're going to ask? And I want to share this online and I want to show people, which is fine. But then it's like, well, I got to, I got to label it. And then you start getting into the whole thing where people stop viewing these snakes as an animal. They start looking at them as a, a commodity or a status symbol. And that's when you're just, you're too far down the hill. And that's mm. when, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, I think I think the problem with with you know because on our website on actually on both websites I addressed this in the same type of thing uh, you know did a, 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 a you know something that people could read and and understand and try to uh, you know get what we're saying when we say you'll never know um, but people just don't read and. It just seems like they just feel like that information is just the, you know, I don't know if it's like the entitlement type of idea that, uh, you know, whereas like you, you have, you have like these two different types of, I guess, generations, if you will, you know, I mean, you have older guys like me that, you know, we had to spend hours upon hours, you know, looking on MP. And then there was the guys that I learned from that spent, hours and hours talking to people and, and tracking this stuff down and you know the newer people getting into carpets just expect that to be handed to them and although I'm all for education and explaining stuff to people I think that there has to be a little bit of effort put into it and it just seems like you know whether it's myself or you guys or you know uh, putting you know information on our websites or Facebook pages or groups or whatever, it just seems like that doesn't matter because they're not paying attention to that anyway. I mean, this question just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. 
<laughs> just, I'm with you, Terrell. I mean, it used to not bother me, but more and more, it's just like, oh, my God, here we go again. Uh, I don't know. So we should start spreading uh, out the abuse so everybody has a chance to answer at once. So those that are a little bit beat down by it can take a break <laughs> for a month and then come back a bit more inspired. The problem yeah. is, is that it's, the problem is that the first answer is always someone who does the, you're never going to know unless you go direct from the breeder, which you didn't do. So everything else following is going to be guesswork. And then people start guessing and it's like, well, wait, no, we already said, we just gave the answer, the perfect answer. Why are we doing this? Cause now they're going to yeah. be like <laughs> hope in this. And then there we go. So yep. it's, if, if the answer was, you'll never know, you know? So, so I guess that leads to the second part of the question. I mean, what do you guys think is the right way to label these animals? You know, I mean, how, how do you put it out there? If, if for instance, you're going to sell it to somebody at a show, uh, you know, or online or whatever, how, how do you label it so that people understand what's going on? For me, I label it as a cross. Uh, say for instance, like when I do, a coastal jungle. I'll do coastal jungle cross. I'll put what the parents were. I try to make it really apparent that it's not a pure animal. Um, right. I don't know if I can, I have to bold that, put a lot of asterisks. I don't know what like what makes that think, but I've actually seen it happen with an animal like home that was a cross. It wasn't produced by me, so that wasn't in the title. But after they got it from me, they went to sell it to somebody else and just chopped the cross part off and just labeled it a coastal. So I had to put on their their post what it was again, so that people didn't buy it thinking it was just one thing. Mm-hmm. Again, I've had that happen. People being lazy. Yeah. Yeah, um, we've seen that uh, quite a few times over this past year of people mm-hmm. not necessarily lying about an animal, but let's just say that they it omitted sins of omission. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I didn't do I didn't tell her I did it, but it's like you, you but you did it. It's like yeah. again, sins of omission. Just because you didn't left it out, it, and I don't know if it was accidental or not. But I've had animals that because uh, I work with the high contrast Queenslands, which you have no idea if that line is pure. There's always rumors that there's jungle involved, so I make sure I tell everybody what's a high contrast Queensland, what isn't. That so that it, it you know and then do with it what you will. So I've had people buy high cons from me and turn around and sell them as jungles, and I have to like stop those people because it's not at all what you're trying to advertise it. So who knows how many people those things those how many of those babies those people sold before I got to them. So mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, you you can only do the best you can and put your best foot forward. Yeah. And if you think about people as, you know, very short attention span looking for the instant gratification, because let's face it, that's the world we live in. The mm-hmm. first line that you put for an ad is the first thing that they're going to see. And if they're not right. going to see something, you know, catches their eye or that they're interested in or that they're looking for, keep mm-hmm. it moving. So for me, I think, you know, the first line in an ad or – um, what you write on your display case or something like that needs to be the most crucial part, whether you write big, bold letters, cross, or, you know, these specific localities cross in there, or, you know, heck, mm-hmm. if you want to ca- catch your ads and put 
in big bold letters, not pure all over it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I, whatever. I think that's great. You know, I mean that you can't sit there and go, well, the breeder didn't specify or I missed that line. It's like, no, that's crap. That was the first word on that line in big bold letters with little stars and exclamation points and dollar signs next to it. Like that's what got your attention and you're omitting that. Then, I mean, yeah, you can, all, you can only do so much, but, uh, yeah. But know. if you, if you were the one of the guys that does it where say every ad you did that had cross in it or you're selling crosses, the first line was crosses, not pure. The second somebody runs around and goes, hey, I'm trying to sell pure stock from this guy, everybody's going to be like, really? Because, like, you know, he – and then if they contact you, be like, no, no, that was from one of my cross-sellings or some of that. If people know that you blatantly uh, admit when you're selling a cross and when you're selling a pure and that you're kind of up and up about that, the smart ones will contact you. Um, the dumb ones will take the other guy's word for you, which is stupid. Um, I've had, and that happens a lot, especially when you start getting to know more and more people in the reptile community, is where you can fact check people who are trying to get you to spend money on them. Um, my favorite is I had someone call me and say that they were going to try selling me this really cool animal that was produced by Howard Reddick. I'm like, really? So then I texted Howard a picture of the snake. And I said, this yours? And he replied with a fuck no. So that's just how it works. That guy had no idea that I had Howard's phone number and could double check him. So, and that kind of is going to come with that is if you're an honest person, other people are, are going to be and approachable. Other people are going to come and double check that kind of stuff with you. And that's at least you, that's what you hope they would do. So you just got to be honest with your customers. Yeah. That the honesty is probably the number one thing to cut down on that, but your it's honesty still happen. doesn't mean yeah. that the next person is going to be as honest as you. No. So, Which, now, do you take Eric's approach and just kill everything? Feed it to a blackhead and be evil <laughs> like that? Easy, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Did I jump too far down the list? I apologize. <laughs> I don't just kill everything. God, what oh, really? is oh. going on over here? <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> hey, I don't know what you do when I'm not around. You know, a, 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 a citrus tigers would be one that, to me, has been frustrating to me over the past um, the past couple of years. You know, this is a project that the reason that I got into this project is just because the snake looks cool. You know what I mean? That to yeah. me was the, what I got into it for. I thought these snakes looked fabulous, perfect stripes, you know, bright yellow, black, nice contrast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's just like, you know, what, what, what drives me, what drives me crazy a little bit is like people that have crosses, right? They have crossed animals and they plan on crossing these animals to those crossed animals. And they're like, I don't know, man that lineage is kind of shady. I'm like, what's shady? I'm telling you exactly what's going on, you know, and I can say <laughs> to you that the one animal is in question on whether or not it was a jungle or a coastal. Nobody will ever know, you know, nobody will ever know. Uh, we don't know. It was sold as this. This is what it is. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Well, what are you going to breed it to? Well, I'm going to breed it to a zebra jag. 
Huh? Well, wait. <laughs> what does that mean? Huh? I've, 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 seen, I've seen you lose your mind at these <laughs> like yeah. So it's already going to make cross babies. Yeah, but I want pure stuff. Why? So, yeah, it's like, there you go. <laughs> I could see uh, you not wanting to get into a project like that to breed it into, say, if you're breeding – Say if you you have like a caramel tiger project or an exanic tiger mm. project where you're dealing with it's pure you know, coastal stuff, yeah, pure coastal stuff, and you don't want it, you know, you don't want any questionable lineage in there. Yeah, I get it, I understand it. And then what's even funnier about that is that same person, right, will have jungles that trace back to an unknown animal, but somehow they became pure. No, you know what I'm saying? Good, you know though. what I mean? It's it, just. It, it, it's good though. It, it it's totally pure. It's fine. It's just frustrating. <laughs> it's a nice you know? it's, it's pure. Yeah, it's a nice jungle, so it's okay. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. But that yeah. doesn't work for any other subspecies but jungles. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> That's so the doesn't truth. Work, that doesn't work true. at all for any other subspecies but jungles. Hey, Eric, if you hit your limit with your frustration on the citrus tigers, I'll send you my address and I'm all here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> so, I'll share uh, with you, Owen. Yeah, there you go. Share the love. Share the love. All right. Sharing is caring. That's right. Yeah. All right, so now that we put that to rest, then we can move on Thank to real God. relevant topics. We'll, we will never hear another one of those questions again. We've now yeah. put the matter to rest. It is dead. No more. Nah, <laughs> not true. Yeah, I know. Um, All violators will be shot. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to have you guys in the next post that comes up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you don't every single time. You, you don't want to do that. I will not be kind. So, <laughs> <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Keeps on giving. Yep. Um, see, that's why we did pick of the week and not a discussion thing because everybody just posts pictures. You know what I mean? There's no discussion. It's just pictures. Who gives a shit what it is? It looks cool. It looks pretty. Done. There we go. Uh, Um, It's a carpet. Shut up and look. Yeah. Exactly. So let's, let's start to talk about keeping carpets and, um, Let's let's break down some stuff and see how you guys approach it and 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 try to get some different viewpoints going in here. Um, so we all know that there's different ways uh, of keeping spring breeders uh, versus winter breeders. Um, do you think that you can keep all carpets uh, the same? Because some people say that you can, some people say that it's that it's not the best. Um, do you think? Uh, you have to keep the more southern range and species differently than we keep the northern range and species, meaning, you know, diamonds and inlands and red lie as opposed to uh, Darwin's, IJ's, jungles and coastals. Ooh, uh, for me, um, I've had red lie here, but it did well keeping them the same way as I keep. Well, I guess. You could look at it two ways. Either I'm keeping the ones that are more northern wrong, or I'm just keeping the ones that are southern. <laughs> like either way, they didn't die and they lived. I ended up selling the bread lie I had, but um, I probably well where I live, it's it's such a range of temperatures, usually on the hot side. So I mean, I would be taking a gamble regardless. 
And I, like I said, I haven't had any ill effects of it. Once I get diamonds, then I'll be able to tell you better. But I think you could probably keep them the same, uh, especially if they're captive bred. Probably easier over time. So if you had diamond pythons, you would keep them the same as your just your regular carpets. I would try it first. Uh, okay. I'm not going to demo to try it, but yeah, I would try keeping them in the same way that I keep everything else. Alright. Huh. What about you guys? Owen? Riley? Riley, go ahead. Um, well, so I only just recently dipped the company pen into some bread light ink. So as far as spring breeders go, um, I don't really have much to say on that based on experience. I would think that uh, that it probably could be done, like Terrell said, you know, with, with captive bred animals. Uh-oh. We lost Shut him. Up the, oh, oh, God. <laughs> he fell out. Right. He fell out. Right. He'll call back. Yeah, strike one. Oh, anyway. Yeah, the, 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 winter, the winter breeders and the spring breeders just booted him I, off. Yes. I keep everybody... Exactly the same, up until the point that I got my first diamond python. Then I did it differently. So I have kept spring and winter breeders and everybody in the same room at the same temps, my bread line, my coastals, jungles, that IJ thing that I got going on over here, as well as other non-Morelia species of python, all at the same, uh, even some boa species, all at the same temps. And they've all done great, all bred. Um, and then the diamonds show up, and apparently I uh, went a little too uh, – I, I got a little too nervous about that stuff. So I keep them in my upstairs office, and they're in, like, the, the bottom rack that I keep up there for quarantine – so they're just there, and I'll eventually move them, I think, into the snake room. I just haven't figured out where I want to do it because i got to find the cages that are going to be the coolest because I prefer to keep them not as hot as everybody else. Now, I have heard from people like Todd that he keeps them just the same as everybody else. They just live in the bottoms of the racks, and they do fine for him. So yeah, I don't know. I've heard that. You know, and then there's you who keeps them in tanks, so – yeah. So Riley, you got cut off. What were you what were you gonna say about bread lie? So I was gonna say, you know, I, I'm a few years out from experiencing uh any, you know, cooling challenges or breeding challenges related to spring ble- spring breeders, but you know, given that some of these animals are several generations into captive breeding and have acclimated to whatever we subject them to more or less, I don't see why it can't be done. I think you know, you might not have as much success. You might run into fertility issues or I don't know what, or, you know, maybe not get your animals quite as dialed in as others. But um, I think it's probably doable. There are ways to be creative and not to mention, you know, the room performs as it does and you might not be as in tune to like the top left north facing corner versus the bottom right southeast corner of the room. And who knows how much those temperatures are fluctuating, but uh I don't know. I, I think it can be done. I think when uh, whenever my little bread lie get up to size, which uh, will be a few years, they are 16s, um, 
I think I will probably try to keep them somewhat similar, but, you know, maybe err on the side of cooler in the winter and not freak out so much if my room gets a little bit hotter and, you know, they're in the warmer end sort of deal. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it could be done. I just don't think it would be as easy. But who knows? You know, I'm just I'm just guessing here. I think the key is is that I think you can keep them the same. I think the problem is is that you're not going to be able to successfully breed them consistently. And there are people that occasionally have luck uh, and get the clutch uh, from here uh, sometimes. And then, you know, the following year they strike out and they're wondering why they, they struck out. And it could be that the room, for whatever reason, uh, you know, like you're saying, I mean, we can't understand exactly what goes in our room on in our room 24 hours a day. Uh, and I'm sure there are temperature fluctuations that maybe we're not aware of. And if the cage is on the bottom, then, you know, maybe it is a little bit colder just to begin with. So maybe it's getting that without us knowing that it's getting that. But my experience has been, so I, I have inland Southern coastals, diamonds, bread lie, and then I have all the northern ones as well. I find that they seem to uh, don't, I, I don't know. They just don't seem that they do as well. Um, uh, when kept hotter, in my opinion, I, I don't know. It just seems that, uh, that, I don't know. It, I, I think sometimes it's about optimized. Op- them being optimized, uh, you know, I mean, just because, for instance, if you take a person, right, and you could eat uh, protein bars for the rest of your life and you would probably be able to survive and you'd be okay, but that does that mean that you're going to be at optimal health um, and if you're not exposed to certain stimulations, or you know what I mean? Like, uh well- I, I, I get what you're saying, and, I mean, we, we had that discussion before where it's like, could you keep diamonds like everything else? Yeah, but are you, like, significantly lessening their lifespan by doing it that way? And yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. That's um, what I'd be worried about. I mean, that's what I'd be worried about. And then, of course, Nick has always told us that with bread lie, yeah, you could probably get a clutch randomly by trying to breed them like every other carbon python, but you're not going to get that consistent – year after year clutch unless you drop right. down like he does. So right. yeah, you can do it. Are you gonna are you doing it efficiently, effectively and naturally? You know, seems, or as best you can. Yeah, it seems to me that the guys and girls that have consistent, you know, uh clutches and success with these guys are the uh that's what they work with. You know, you look like a guy like Greg who breeds diamonds, and that's what he does. Yeah. That's all that he has. I mean, that guy has that dialed in, man, you know. Um, yeah. And I think it's because of his approach. I don't think that if he kept them like he did a jungle that he would have as much success, in, in my opinion, you know. But I'd agree. So I would agree. Yeah, I would think that consistency would probably be, probably be the thing that you're going to run into problems with the most because you're not going to be able to tell unless you have like a good sample size of animals that you keep one way and some maybe cooler in the same area unless you 
have them for years and, you know, say 10 years down the line, ones you keep at a warmer temperature die, but the other ones don't, that you keep cooler. I mean, that would take a really long time to figure out if you're actually harming them, keeping them warmer versus uh, here in Southern California, especially where I live uh, right now, it's currently like 66 and make it down to 30 outside tonight so it'll be about 69 in this room and i remember when i got my bread line i got him from the east coast and he was a little a little older than a year and he wouldn't eat here until it got below 70 and then after that he was fine after the first year and then he acclimated to eating warmer so you may run into things when you hatch stuff and then getting them acclimated to what you're trying to you know, what you're trying to provide for them may be a little difficult. I would agree to that because every late clutch of carp pythons that I've ever hatched, coastal-wise, that, like, hatch in, like, August, are always a bitch to get feeding because they start trying to eat in, like, September, October, and it's like that's when everybody else is going down, so their little bodies are trying to tell them to do 18 other things other than eat their damn food. So... um I would probably say that it's like depending on the seasons that they're hatched in or what they're trying to get acclimated to weather-wise in the beginning could really kind of mess them up a little bit, but they'll eventually come around. I've often wondered, and this is a question for you guys, and I don't know if I, I'm not really sure if any of us here plan on doing something of this type of pairing, but um if you're going to make something like uh, bread light jags or inland jags or something like that, where you're crossing a, a northern species with a southern nope. species, what what would be your uh, well? Let's let's ask this question first. Is anybody going to do something like that? Does anybody have plans to do that? I do not plan on doing it. Okay, Riley, probably not, right? No, no at least not in the foreseeable future. I mean, I guess I have the tools to put it together, but I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of don't think that's something I'm interested in. It's neat to see the, the results that other people get with that, but probably not for me. I'm going to do a little disclaimer here um, and just make sure that everybody understands this real quick. When somebody breeds a bread lie, go on. I'm just waiting because oh. I haven't answered yet, so I thought you were going to disclaimer what I was going to say. So, no, no, go ahead, Owen. Go ahead. Go Mark, ahead. No, no, no. Well, I, we all know how well I want to do these pairings. I mean, this has just been so high on my list is to find every single Morelia I could and mix it with the other stuff. But um, no, no, I don't want to. So I'll leave. That, I'm good, man. <laughs> I think that, that, that there's this, this idea that when you make a bread lie jag, that somehow you're not making a hybrid. You you are. You are. Breadlight <laughs> is not a carpet python. It is a sister species of a carpet python, but not a Morelia spilota. Therefore, you're crossing a pure, uh, a full species to another, to a different species, aka a, a bread, hybrid. Hybrid. <laughs> yeah. So a breadlight a breadlight bread jag is the equivalent of taking. Um, basically, if you took a retick in a T-morph python, 
They're 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 very close related. They're sister species, but they are not the same species. So, or a chondro yeah. on a rough scale, or that, that sacrilege. We talked about this. You never to mention that on the show again. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, I've always been curious. Like uh, you know, when you do a, a a high percentage cross, like if you have if you're going to make diamond jungle jags, you know that's probably a more popular one. Um, mm. You know, how do you cycle? The, do you do you have issues with cycling that you know high percentage diamond cross? Uh, you know, oh, uh, I've heard of people who do because then they try to drop it down to get the diamond to trigger in or breed. And the cross doesn't really do too well down there or something like that. I mean, I've heard that almost the time when you start getting into the crosses that you keep them like other normal, you don't, you don't, you skip the spring breeder part of that. You skip the dropping down part of that and you just try to get them to breed normal or unlike a diamond or unlike a bread lie. So, cause I've only heard not so good things and you try to drop them down. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's an interesting one. Actually, I didn't but, even think of doing that. Not that I plan on doing it, but that's, <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now I know Bill, uh, Bill Stiegel, he tried doing it and um, he had, uh, he didn't, he didn't get a successful clutch um, from his yeah, diamond. Yeah, 88 percenters. Yeah. So, I tend to think that that just has to do with them not being cold enough. But, I mean, if you're 88% of something, then you're pretty pretty damn close to being, you know, the pure thing. I think that's the other thing that we should throw out that's not often talked about. You can't make a species pure again, you know? I mean, yeah, it's like, you know... Uh, People, you know, it's like 97%, you know, diamond jungle. You just, you just round <laughs> like, up them, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's Sorry, never going to be a pure diamond. Never going to be there. Never going to be there. So, which is why if you are interested in doing some uh, crossing stuff, uh, you know, that's why I always recommend getting the pure stuff and then doing your own crossing for your own products, because then you know where to start with. I mean, and then you also open the door to potentially even making pure stuff yourself. It, like we've talked about it before, um, before you got a hold of Poison Ivy, the first clutch she ever made was to a Jag, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't why, know why you had to press. Why, why, but yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but then it's like now, and if something had happened to the animal, now the only link we have back to the animal is on pure stock. So that's why Eric has his little, you know, army of little IJs over there that can be linked back there because they're pure stock. Now, if Eric wants to now take one of those little bastards and make some jags or something else, he can because there's still the pure stuff. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's another topic that gets brought up quite a bit, would you say? All the say. time, yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about getting babies to feed. I know to, 
you know, you, you just said that uh, you had a problem with when it came from the East Coast to the West Coast, and I think that sometimes this becomes an issue. So let's talk about maybe some of the tips and tricks uh, that that you've had with getting animals, uh, babies, uh, to feed. It seems like once carpets are adults, they're pretty much they're going to eat. I've never had a problem feed or adult. I don't know if you guys have, but I haven't. Um, and I, I particularly, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I particularly see this with albinos and I don't know what you guys mm. think of that as well, but let's, let's see what you got to say. Yeah. Well, on the albino thing, that sucks if it's that hard to feed them. Cause I have three possible albino clutches. That I'm gonna do oh, you're here. screwed. You're screwed. <laughs> it sucks, <laughs> man. <laughs> from a fire sale. Um, with babies that I've had trouble feeding, um, as of this year, the best thing I've found for them is feeding them quail. I've tried everything else in the book uh, over the last couple of years, and the ones that I've had trouble with this current year, uh, I started feeding them quail. Even with sub-adults that were a little iffy, uh, feeding them quail kicked that almost immediately. Like I had one baby from 2015. He is currently still 32 grams and he just ate for the first time on his own uh, a couple months ago and it was a quail so what size quail are you feeding are you feeding them straight uh, quail or are you sending the quail day old straight quail no scenting at all you like a uh, day old quail like yeah day old frozen old dog. quail jesus huh interesting so it's just, it's about 17 grams. Uh, it's a little long. It looks weird when you're going to feed it to them because it's a little bigger. But once it's in their stomach, you can't really tell. Right. Right. Okay. So you haven't had experience yet with the albino thing then? No. I'm... Well, now I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. So. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't done any albino babies yet. When we got ours, they were yearlings, a little older than a year. So they're okay. already eating. Um, and I don't remember having any problems with them. And now they, they're probably the best eaters I have of my carpet as far as eating them quickly. Okay. Yeah, once they're like I said, man, once they're once they're in, they're in, you know, and things are good. But it's just getting them to that point, you know. It's not as bad as chondros or blackheads, but it's almost it's almost as bad. It's almost as aggravating. Yeah. Yes, in my experience, and people that I've talked to have said the same. But I don't know, Riley. I, do you have I any agree. albinos? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny you bring it up. I was just talking about this with somebody today. A friend of mine produced a, a clutch from a zebra head albino to a pure Darwin head albino. And, um, you know, out of the ones that uh, made it out of the eggs, got five visuals and I think like six heads still here. And that's after one of the albinos starved herself out to death, even after force feeding and decided Kribo food was a better use for her. Um but I think these babies are like four months old now and five of them still are not eating. And I, 
I literally keep uh, a piece of wood nearby so I can bash my forehead with it when I'm frustrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, Dude, okay. everything that anybody says about albinos being tough to get started um, seems to be evident in this one clutch on my first experience, and it's rather discouraging. But, you know, as soon as I'm about to throw in the towel, another baby starts eating again. Um, so, I, you know, through patience, I've managed to get three or four of these visuals eating, um, and some of the other babies have come around, but some of them are looking like skin and bones and, you know, I'm not a big fan of force feeding. I'll do it if I need to, but I don't know, man. I, I've got I've got hungry Kribos that, you know, just burn through food, and that's a little easier for me. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my first couple clutches, I was doing the whole force feeding of everybody and trying to make sure everyone stayed alive and blah, blah, blah. blah. I've gotten to the point now where I'm going to offer you food, and if you're going to live, you're going to eat. <laughs> if you if you choose death, I'm not going to stop you. So, and it's one of those things where I've since adopting that method, I haven't really lost anybody. They eventually come around, um, but I'll offer different food items, and there's always something that somebody will take. Um, I have a few on live right now, and because I can't get live as much as I want. Uh, they're rather smaller than the rest of their brothers and sisters who took frozen thawed right off the bat, but they're still alive, and they just started taking frozen thaw, so they're going to start catching up. So I'm not in a rush, but when it comes to the albinos, I have one albino boy, and I got him as a yearling, and he was eating perfect. I got him here, and then after like two months, he decided he didn't want food anymore, and it was it has been a bear of a time to get him to eat. And he's just now starting to put on more size because I finally figured out what he wants. And that's like a frozen thawed mouse, super, super, super hot. And I like touch him with it once and then I leave it there and then walk away. And then he'll eat. If I do anything else different, he will let, watch it. That's all he does. So things you do for these things. So, huh. Um, I find yep. it interesting, Terrell, that you said about the quail because um, in one of the papers that I read, um, they had mentioned that Darwins, especially young Darwins, feed primarily on birds. So oh, I so think it goes – what's that? There's hope for me then. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the um, – uh, I, I'm going to have to find the paper. I have it in my uh, copy book that Owen makes fun of me about, but I have it written down in there. But um, The Magic Tone <laughs> Book. Sorry. Yeah. You had to the, call uh, it correct name. Yeah, sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah, in this paper, it talks about how young Darwins feed primarily on birds. So I wonder if it's just a matter of, uh, you know, kind of like with uh, young um, pythons in Australia eating primarily reptile based food that you know these guys are eating birds and such that maybe that's why they're having a hard time and you're saying that they took it right away right that right away i think I there's a secret a, <laughs> yeah i had gotten a um ig hecker in it uh i want to say two years ago now a little over two years ago and he would only eat live mice and that is a pain in the ass to go get live mice just for – well, now I have, like, a bunch that only choose to eat live mice. But 
the first time I offered him quail, he took it, and now that's like his favorite thing, and which is fine for me because there's I have a local quail breeder, and I get them fairly cheap compared to rodents. But it's like it, it worked for him. It worked for that baby. A couple other babies I've had, like these shy, shy eaters that are right. They're smaller than they should be for their age because they're just really picky. Right. But yeah, oh. the birds. I mean, I, I'm getting to the point where I swear by them because at least in my collection, it's worked uh-huh. out way better than just trying rodents, just leaving rodents overnight. Uh, just throw a quail in there, and it's usually gone, like, instantaneously. Right. So, now, have any of you guys had an adult that went off of food for any reason or not? I have three adults that did that this year, actually. Um, did you guys have... Okay. Go ahead, Owen. No, I mean, like, so what was it? Was your IJ and... Um, a coastal, two coastals, uh, striped coastal okay. and just regular coastal, all three of them. They're actually the oldest snakes I have. And then all three of them around the same time. I don't know if it got too hot in here because we were getting to like 116, 117 during the summer. So it could have just been too hot, but they stopped eating for months. Okay. Did they eventually come around or are they yeah. still off on that? Okay. Did you yeah, do anything out. different with them or just keep offering them their same food? Um, I started uh, offering them much smaller food okay. just to see if they would take it. Um, the IJ was the last, and she I actually had plans on breeding her this year, but she's not up to size, but she's now eating consistently what she was eating before. All three of them at the same time, like within the same week, just stopped eating altogether. That, that is kind of weird, and I would probably – jump to the same conclusion you did that something was done kind of weather-wise when i've had issues with that stuff it was i had a maclots python that was stuck on birds you didn't want rats you only wanted birds and i had a female carpet that after she laid their eggs her eggs didn't want food and for the mac the way i got him off he was doing with the birds is i honestly got cycled him for the first time i put him through winter we didn't have food he came up in the springtime, and I refused to offer him chicken. So he got a rat, and he took the rat, and he's never seen a chicken since then. So that's what worked for me. When it came to the other female that wouldn't eat after she laid her eggs, what I actually resorted to was hairless rats. I don't know if you guys have ever had, uh, if you're rodent dealers or anything else, offer hairless rats. But a frozen-thawed hairless rat, when you thaw it out, smells so weird and horrible that – but somehow it is like crack to these animals. Like you thaw it out and you pull it out of the water, all of a sudden you have the attention of every single snake in the room because they have no idea what the hell smells so good over here. And I've had multiple adult animals that were either off food or kind of shoddy food take the hairless rat and then go immediately back to normal rats the next feeding and eat all the way through. So that's an interesting approach. A a good point, actually. I've had, you know, shy feeders feed best when I've offered them a 
a hairless fuzzy mouse like some babies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, start giving them poppers and they they want nothing to do with them, or like I'll find it you know dropped after in a couple hours. I give them a hairless fuzzy and that thing's gone. And I started doing exactly. that for a completely different reason. It was just because I figure the the fur is just kind of extra roughage and waste that they're passing. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, why not give them more of whatever they're going to process and, you know, cut out a lot of that waste from the get-go. But, um, I, you know, it might be uh, beneficial in more than just that way, it seems. Yeah, I, I normally don't get them, and they're a little bit more on the expensive side. It's kind of like uh, everybody will tell you, everybody's got a tips and tricks, you know, African software, stuff like that. So mine's uh, hairless rat. So... I have used African soft furs for animals that were maybe yearlings uh, that might have been picky back and forth, and they seem to take that right away. Um, But uh, I like the – I'm going to try that quail thing because, you know, the the clutch of albinos where I had, what, four albino zebra jags and, you know, three albino jags and – you know, the odds gods were with me, but man, was that a bitch to get those guys going. And, you know, when you produce it and you're like, finally, I have it, and then it won't eat. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Now, what am I doing? You know? So. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and with the, um, the one you had trouble, uh, real quick, the one you had trouble switching back from uh, birds. Has yeah. Has that happened like other ones where they won't switch back? Uh, I've had the only ones I feed birds to, I used to feed birds to my Amazon tree bows and I feed them all to my scrubs. Um, the scrubs will go from bird to rat by hand to bird to rat. You know, it doesn't matter to them. They'll kill anything. Um, my Macbox Python, he was stuck on chicks, which was really weird because I got him from, and he went on, he was on rodents when I got him from Eric and he was on rodents forever and then he stopped eating. So then I offered him the chicks to just get him to eat. And then he was hooked on chicks. And after that first time cycling, I never let him go back. But every time I thaw out chicks for the scrubs, uh, he starts whipping around his cage. So he knows the smell and I bet you he'd eat it if I offered it to him, but uh, I need him to gain more weight and he's going to do that faster on a rat than he would a chicken. So, yeah, I've not given him the opportunity. Cool. All right. Um, another topic that comes up when we talk about keeping um, is record keeping. Uh, so I'm curious of what you guys do. How do you do it? What do you track? And do you use the information that you track? And do you ever share that info? Uh, go ahead, Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started out a few years ago using uh, Herper Pro. Uh, it's just the first computer software program that I stumbled across, and I thought that was a brilliant idea, so I just dove in. And I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I kept track of my inventory. I could, you know, keep track of a lot of these details that, uh, you know, seemed important at the time. And then, uh, I kind of got frustrated with it when I started putting my carpets in there because it's, it's very, I don't, I don't want to say like designed for ball pythons, but it doesn't kind of, you know, lean towards 
encompassing localities and stuff. It's just kind of morph centric and all that, which is fine. You know, I just treat it the same way, but, um, I used that for the longest time. It was great. I got really good at optimizing my food ordering and, you know, being very efficient with that. And then my computer crashed. I lost the program, lost all that data, and I was pissed. So um, I, I'm i hesitant to get back onto the computer. And if there's there's one thing that always stands the test of time, it's, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And mm-hmm. Andy Grossman turned me on to his uh, – fancy uh ticonderoga method of uh pencil and paper and i i just do you know note cards for each animal uh write everything down i have a stack on a shelf in my room that's got 14 months of feeding records of note cards because i just write it all out each week for what i'm pulling and then every animal i just you know add more cards as as they fill up and uh i have plan to, you know, put it all in a more permanent sort of organized fashion in a binder for long-term for future reference, but I don't keep anywhere near as detailed the records as I used to. Like, I used to record every bowel movement, urate, uh, you name it, weigh them monthly, and that was, you know, way too much work for, you know, essentially being not all that useful information at the time. Um, my cards for everybody just uh, you know, at the header, I just have what they are in as much detail as possible, who I got them from, when I got them, any hatch date info if I have it. And then I just keep track of uh, every feed or refusal, um, if I catch them going opaque and when they shed. And that's pretty much all I put on there. If I happen to weigh them, I'll write that on there, but I don't put too much weight on weight anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then as far as you know, breeding details, um, I, you know, again, keeping it simple, I, Todd, Todd showed me how he just kind of uses uh, painter's tape and just, you know, what information he keeps on there. He slaps a new strip of painter's tape on each enclosure and, you know, writes when they ovulate, when the eggs laid, and, you know, when the expected dates are and any lockups and stuff. So, you know, each of my breeders' tank has a big obnoxious piece of blue painter's tape on it with dates and L's and question marks and stuff written all over it. So, and then each year I just start it all over again and transfer all that information onto a note card that I can then keep for, you know, the future year's reference. And my plan is to kind of catalog and keep a database of, of every animal in the collection and, you know, what's going on each year. So if I ever need to reference back and just, you know, flip through a notebook and there it is. Cool. So I'm a little more modern than Riley. Uh, I've tried to <laughs> write stuff down. Uh, not really for me. I'm a guy that likes data. Uh, I like to look back at different, you know, fluctuations and what's going on with the animal. So I have written myself an app that I use uh, to keep track of. Uh, currently, I'm not using it as much because I'm actually developing something communal. So I haven't really been taking records, especially now that we're getting into the cooler time of the year. So I'm only really concerned with the breeders, but um, I usually keep track of weight. Um, I used to do like urates, defecations. I don't do that so much anymore. Uh, food item and size is something that I'm big on lately, like especially with the quail thing. So I'm trying to keep track of, you know, what I did and what worked versus what didn't and um 
just like an inventory number, all this data uh, is going to be put into certain graphs uh, so that when I look back on an animal, when I bred this to this, uh, this year versus this year, what the clutch sizes were, you know, when they started eating, what they were eating. So I can kind of give myself feedback on what I'm doing. Not so much right, but what I could be doing better and more efficiently. So right now, um, starting from scratch, and um, Eric, I talked to you about it a little earlier uh, last week, but um, I started mm-hmm. HerperClassified.com. It's a it's a three-part thing. The classified is just one particular part, but what, and we'll get into the whole Facebook thing and why I chose to do it, but um, it'll be a forum inventory tracking classified all in one so that all your information is in one place. So if you're talking about something, you can just pull up the information right then and there. You don't have to search through papers and old files and all that stuff. It'll just be readily available by a particular number or notation you give to an animal. Uh-huh. So that's currently what I'm doing now. I'm still in the process of testing it for myself to see if it makes sense uh-huh. to do it. So now I'm just keeping track of food, uh, what it was, uh, what time of day, and um, weight. Okay. That's interesting with the time of day. Have you seen anything with that correlates to that info? Uh, around six o'clock in the morning is when most of my really picky eaters is when they eat, and that's usually when my tegu uh, timer lights come on, and for my bearded dragon. Huh. Interesting. What about you, Owen? I write nothing down. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. But um, actually, that's <laughs> not true. But um, I, I have the. I had the reptile scan, um, which I wish to God I'd kept up on a little bit more. It's great. I use it for documenting bloodlines, breeding lines, and keeping track of the animals. But as far as the record of what they've eaten, I I tend not to like to sit there to scan everybody and then adjust. Um, I have redesigned cage cards now so that uh, my babies have cage cards that have their, you know, hatch date, their baby numbers, uh, as well as all their food, the times they've eaten, like just the date that they've eaten. Um, it doesn't really specify what they've eaten or anything like that because I figure, you know, you're just going to ask me. So this way it has a date of when they ate and stuff like that. Um, and I can also add if they shed on it. And it's basically big life events happening in that little baby's life. And this way I can take that card. Uh, I sent out two snakes yesterday, and uh-huh. I included the cards in the shipment. So, I mean – it's getting to the point now where it's like, I like having it, that it's something uh, kind of data that I can just hand off. Uh, but I would probably get more into reptile skin if I just kind of got my head around it or quit being such a lazy jerk, but I don't know. Um, I, I, I like having that as far as breeding documents. Uh, I honestly got to use a lot of, um, I use the calendar that we have that we put out every year. Uh-huh. I usually put anything I've noticed in the room breeding wise, I just write it down on the calendar. This way I can flip back to when this happened, when that happened. Um, uh, and then I also update the breeding journal that I have on my website. 
so it helps with that as well. Um, even though it does take a while for me to update the online breeding journal, it's out to sit. I usually just sit down one day and like compile all my little notes and look at the calendar, and then redo my journal on the web page because then now it's like permanent and I know where to go get it and I never lose that data. Um, I, I've been thinking about getting my own kind of cloud thing for all my pictures as well as other things like uh, family trees and other stuff like that, but uh, that's pretty much all the documentation I do. So that's why God help you guys if I ever end up accidentally breeding a rare species because it's just going to be like, what'd you do, Owen? I put the male in the female's cage. That's <laughs> all I got. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Don't ever try to breed anything rare. Um, I know, right? I'd be, they'd be furious with me. So. Yeah, I use, I've used all the different, um, I'm similar to you guys, I've used different kinds. Um, Reptiscan was one that I was using last year, but when I moved, I just haven't kicked back into using it again. So currently I'm not really tracking anything, um, you know, uh, but I will get back into it and keep track of basically feedings and sheds and stuff like that. Um, I think that the thing of it is, is like, you know, what I found is, is that you, 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 take all this information down but what do you do with it you know i mean it's good i mean the breeding stuff is good because you can look back on it and you can see when a female you know has ovulated or like does she go at the same time every year et cetera, et cetera. um and uh i i think i think to me like one this is a thing back in the mp days is that one of the things that you know was talked about and I've always wanted to, to see it come to fruition was, you know, each year a group of people uh, pick, uh, you know, whatever it would be, um, you know. So if you would take a question like, uh, you know, does does a carpet grow faster if it eats pinks or if it eats rat uh, hoppers or if it eats rat pups type of deal. And, um you know, if you had a bunch of people taking down that data, obviously you would have to make sure that they're, you know, that they're taking down it accurately and, and representing it accurately. But I think you could kind of pull that data together and kind of get an idea of, you know, what's going on. And I know that's that's a little bit more on the technical side, but that to me is where I sort of, I geek out kind of, you know, I like to, uh, again, it goes back to optimization and 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 knowing really how the what makes that animal tick. Um, mm. So, you know, I th- I think we understand it enough to 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 do this successfully. But could it be better? You know, could we do it better? You know, I I always wonder if there's more to this than just what we have. Uh, you know, like why does why does a female slug out? Why does she become egg bound? You know, why, you know, what, what about our eyes and, and all these different things? And why do you see some people that drop temperatures super low, don't get respiratory infections and other people do um, all these different things. I think these questions could be somewhat answered um, if that data was kind of pulled together, but I don't know. You and I are on the same page. I that's kind of so being a reptile breeder, 
it's fine. Like, I like doing it. It's a cool hobby. But I, I want to see what I can contribute going further. Like, how can we make this better for these animals? Outside of keeping them in tubs and not having, you know, 10-foot enclosures for each one, what can we do while they're in captivity? What data can we look at to improve how we keep them? Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, and and to some people, they don't, you know, they don't really care about that. Not, not that they don't care about the animals, but they're quite content. Like, you know, if it's not broke, why, why, why fix it type of deal. And I understand that, but I just think that, um, you know, it seems like herpticulture in general sort of got to a, to a, to a certain point to where we can have success. And it's just like, well, we don't want to continue to grow. We're just going to stop here. And that's it, you know, and this is what it is. <laughs> and then we have these things that pop up all the time and nobody really has definitive answers as to why these things happen. And, you know, I don't know. I want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Nick did that with his twin thing. Is He asked if anybody uh, wanted to could volunteer up the data for his um, – twin research, and that was data on any clutches, not just ones that produce twins, but, you know, it was something that he did that was kind of cool to kind of bring everybody in for the research. Um, so it can be done. Uh, you just wish you'd see more of it. Yeah. Now, Riley, I'm just curious of how it translates as far as record-keeping at a zoo as opposed to in your is it is it more detailed in working at a zoo oh oh yeah we um so it's, it's interesting you, you bring that up so years ago i think it was san diego zoo designed uh, a daily daily recording system we call it the drs and we basically um piggybacked on that design and came up with our own it was basically uh, a program in the computers limited to just the network in the zoo. And it keeps, you know, they, we can design it how we want, but it keeps track of um, any collection changes, whether they've moved, died, brought in, uh, been taken somewhere else, medical stuff, weights, enrichment, training, uh, any observations, behavior, reproductive observations, um, general comments, uh, and that's kind of the gist of that system. And we're now in the process of switching over to um, this new program that's more of a, it's a database style um, system called uh, Species 360. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's basically a worldwide program where I can look up the entire record that has been kept for an animal in a zoo in Germany if I know its uh, its accession number for their facility. Um, we still have a few folks, you know, transferring data from our original daily recording system over into this one, and they've been working on that for a long time because it's, it's a lot to switch over. But, um, you know, that I think they whittled it down to more of the important stuff you know, the entire transaction history of that animal, where it's bounced around from collection, any medical stuff, weight. Uh, and, again, they can tweak that for 
you know, each group, like the, the bird aspect of it might have different things important to it. The mammals uh, grouping might have, you know, different sections in it. And then yeah, I think the, the herp section of it all is, is relatively simple. I'm still getting used to it myself, but yeah, it's pretty basic, like weights, any transactions, any medical history, any general comments, any reproductive information. Uh, and that's more or less it, but it's, it's different because I can access it from any computer, anywhere. It's not just, you know, on the zoos network. It is very uh, global. And I think a, a few zoos are starting to switch over to it uh, if they haven't already been on it. And I think the plan is to make a, a global network information sharing sort of system. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Great. Yeah, it's very elaborate to say the least. Um, <laughs> they they brought it up to us, and we've had the access to it for a little over a year now. But you know, it, everybody's in their habits, and myself included, and so it's really hard to to get us thinking about using this system instead. And so they started with just making sure everybody knows how to log in and input weights in there, and they just you know are asking that we do that and. I think, you know, the more they sort of explain why we we're trying to make that switch, the more it made sense because talking with our vet staff, they're, you know, always in the clinic. They can't hop into the keeper office and, you know, check our records and stuff. They don't have the remote access to see, you know, weights and things and if anything else has changed in this animal's history to concern them. And so using this Species 360 program, um, you know, they can be anywhere and check that out. Even if we're not available to show them or help them out, they can see that. And so it's um, it's a bit more streamlined, and the idea is to be more effective, I guess. Hmm. Awesome. That's cool. Um, so I guess, you know, with taking down these records and whatnot and keeping track of all these different things, uh, I guess that would – sort of segue into breeding and uh i'm curious um what you guys feel is the most important aspect or trigger uh to get your carpets to breed now just as a disclaimer you guys are on the west coast and me and owen are on the east coast so it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see like what the difference is in uh getting you guys what you guys do as opposed to what we do so Uh, go ahead, Riley. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying not to talk over anyone. I, I'm being diligent about muting myself. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that must so be Owen me... making all the noise then. <laughs> I'm not making any noise. I'm sitting here quietly. I don't know. I hear a whole lot of noise. Go ahead. Sorry, Riley. No, no worries. Um, so this will – so I, I've only been – keeping carpets myself in a private collection personally for like three or four years now. And only in the last two years have I have, have I had animals up to size. And last year I got spanked. I got skunked out big time. Um, I have produced a clutch of, um, shoot, oh, caramels and coastals for a guy that I used to, used to work for, for a year. Um, I drive up to his place every weekend and spend a day in the collection doing stuff while he worked and did other things and managed to, you know, get my, get my feet wet that way. Um, and I think the, the only reason he had success with them is because 
of the temperature cycling because not to not to pick on the guy, but um, his priorities were a bit skewed and food was not at the top of the list for his animals. And so a lot of them were very underfed and uh, cleanliness was also an issue. Uh, you know, I won't get into the details of this particular individual situation and whatnot, but um, the, the fact that he got anything out of those animals was probably only because of uh, temperature cycling. Um, you know, other than that, everything went wrong for what was going on there and still managed to get some good eggs out of the, uh, out of that one particular jungle. You know, half of the babies didn't make it, but um, they reproduced. And I think, you know, for me last year, the reason why I got skunked was because where we are at over here, um, the joke for Santa Barbara anyway, is that we don't have seasons. And it's very true. I, every year, make it a habit just to tease my friends that are in the cold that I go to the beach on Christmas Day. Uh, and <laughs> it's it's like 75 all the time. Like, I can roll, roll the dice and just be like, yeah, it's probably going to be 70 today. And last year was hot. Um, I was getting 90-degree-plus days in December. I had been trying to cool my animals for a while, and they were still, like, clamoring to the cool end and it was temp gunning in the eighties because it was just so darn warm. So I think the temperature and being able to like cycle your animals, um, is pretty fundamental. And I think if you don't do that, you may get a little bit of success, but I think that would ultimately be the biggest hindrance based on my limited experience. I don't have to agree with Robbie on that. It's, it seems to be here on the West Coast uh, that temperature is probably the most important thing because, like you said, it doesn't get cold here often. Um, I live in a valley, so it does get colder than where Riley's at sometimes. Uh, like next week, I think it's supposed to be warmer than it is this week, so it's going to throw my animals off again. Um, last year... I did everything the same way I did the year before, but it was a little warmer. And I don't know if it was an age thing with the albinos, but they didn't go. But my IJ did. And then I I lost the clutch later because it got too hot in here and they cooked in me later when I was at work. But temperature seems to be like the biggest thing. Like right now I have no males that are interested in females, but for Riley it's cooler there and he's getting locks where last year was cooler and I was getting locks, but not, not this year. They're not, like not even interested in each other. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. And it's, it's later than it was. Uh, I did my pairings October 19th, the last two years, and then got locks within the first few days. Now I have males that are like, they won't combat with each other. Uh, the females are staying away from the males. So it's been a really weird year for me here, but I think it's just because hmm. it's warmer where I live than Riley for the most part. Right. Yeah, I I agree with Terrell. I, you know, it gets it's very similar in temperature here to where he's at, but he gets more of the extremes, uh, especially when it comes to heat. I finally uh, am fortunate enough to have just a designated room for my animals this year. I just recently moved, and because I'm not uh, sleeping amongst everything. Um, I'm okay with 
letting the room get colder than I would like to inhabit. Um, I've positioned my adults near the window just by virtue of how I need to lay things out, and it seems to have worked out really well. Um, and I'm able to cool this room much more than my space last year. And so I think that's been a big, uh, big part of it. But, I mean, I could still throw the window wide open, and just by virtue of everything in here, it doesn't really get below, like, 68 at the lowest. And I haven't even seen it get that low yet. But, uh, yeah, like Terrell said, I've, I started as soon as the weather was breaking because I didn't know how much cool weather I was going to get this year. And I threw some pairs together, and, you know, my, my tiger male won't leave uh, my tiger jag alone um, to the point where I try to separate him, and he comes flying out trying to bite me. Um, my jungles, they just, yeah, they've been going at it. I've got, let's see, I've already got four locks confirmed out of them, and I've, you know, only been pairing them for like two weeks. So, um, yeah, weather for me is a big one. Okay. Yep. Owen, would you agree? Weather? Yeah. Now, weather is crucial. Um, we haven't gotten to the point where I, I've, I'm kind of taking a little slow this year. I've just been kind of messing around with cage temps. I haven't started dropping the room down. Um, I've been kind of waiting for the weather outside to kind of get a little bit cooler. Um, so it just kind of is one of those things where if you ride with the weather, it makes your life a whole lot easier than fighting it. So um, – I'm just kind of waiting for it to cool a little bit down. Plus, there's a lot of breeding season to do. I mean, I've had animals that lock up in October, and I've had animals that lock up in February, and you still get eggs around at the same time, and all that stuff really doesn't matter to me. So I'm probably going to start really cooling down in the beginning of December, and then... uh, I'm not going to do, I have some pairs are together now, but I'm really not going to start introducing until we get to about Valentine's day and we start the warm up in, in middle of February. So that's what we're probably going to do is I'm going to take my time and really cool everybody down slow, uh, to during December into January and then kind of do an about face and start warming them back up in uh, early February. So that's the plan. Um, I may be shooting myself in the foot, We'll see. So, uh, but the weather is crucial. Yeah, I think the uh, the pressure, uh, you know, of storms that come through is 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 pretty key. Um, I mm. think the, I think with carpets in particular, I think temperature is um, is a big factor, at least for me. Um, I've I've done a uh, multi a uh, couple different ways. Uh, I've done it where I've had the same uh temperature like a uh a straight ambient temperature and I had okay success um as opposed to when I dropped them um I had a much better success. I think the thing though that people need to pay attention I, I to me I believe, you know, if there's I said this. I said this before. Uh, I think that there might be five, six different triggers that trigger an animal to go to know that it's time to breed. Um, I think that uh, you could hit on three of those triggers, and they could be any one of them, and you're going to be successful. 
It doesn't have to be that you have like that. That's why I think you see sometimes that, you know, people don't drop their temperatures and yet they, they're successful. Uh, people don't cycle feed yet. They're successful. Um, you know, people don't have, um, uh, you know, storms that are constantly rolling through and that they're successful. I mean, we've seen somebody, right. what was it last year? And they bred a carpet where the, the babies were hatching in December. Right. Yeah. That was a uh, Jen. Jen was Jen yeah. hatched a bunch of babies in like Christmas day. And it's like, Holy yeah. crap. You know, so, I, I, I had corn, I had corn stick eggs on uh, new year's day. So breeding seasons are all weird. And, and what you said about storms, I know I have that breeding scheme in my head of not introduced till Valentine's Day. But if we're in the middle of the beginning of February and some giant snowstorms roll in, guess who's going to start going into cages? You know, that's – I know what to do. When, I think, when there's a big storm outside, put your pairs together. So, yeah, I think I think the thing of it is like when you're breeding and you start to do this and you're consistent, you're going to start to see patterns. And when those animals have patterns, you have patterns, everything in the room is sort of is on a cycle. I think yeah. things start to follow and they start to flow. Yeah, and, you start and you're going to start to see. When you, yeah, and you start figuring out when your breeders do things. Like I have one girl that always breeds early. So right. I have a male that's going to multiple females. He's going to go to her first because she always breeds early. So right. she breeds early enough that now he can go to other females because his job's done over here. So right. You got you learn your room, you learn your animals, you learn the breeding habits. Things get easier. Yeah. Except with IJs. Things never get easier. <laughs> They're the easiest of all. <laughs> That's not true. Not true. It's a lie. That uh, is for me. I don't know. I think uh, Terrell and Riley would agree. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. We're not even uh, asking them. Move on. All of my carpets for IJs. What's that? Yeah, I took almost all of my carpets for IJ. Oh, <laughs> God. That's just sick. There you go. Um, okay. Um, let's see. What else do we got? Um, all right. This is a light, light one. What's your most anticipated pairing of the season, carpet-wise? For me, and it's more of just because of the time that I put into it, would be my albino to albino jag. Uh, April got these with a group of uh, short tails she bought in 2014, I want to say. And mm-hmm. we've raised them up to be adults. And last year, like I said, they didn't go, but she was a little over three then, so now she'd be a little over four. So I'm hoping that with her size now and her age that she'll be able to actually produce eggs, but that's just me hoping if the temperatures get down low enough. I just check right now. It's 55 outside, but it's 82 in her. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Albino to albino giant. That's going to be a cool pairing. Yeah. And it's more just for me because I really wanted albinos. We finally got them. You know, we watched them grow from babies, so it'll be cool to see them actually produce. Yeah, yeah the circle cool. circle of life, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> now. But... 
All right, who wants to go next? Who, Riley? What do you got? Um, yeah. Um, well, for me, it's a tie between two for two reasons. One, um, I've got uh, that jungle pairing, and and that thing. Oh man, that female just gets me excited every time I turn the lights on and I look at her. I do a little happy dance just because she's healthy and fat and breeding and so. For me, that is uh, one of them just because jungles were kind of the first carpets that really I saw that I knew instantly, like, okay, I like these animals a lot. And I really wanted to, you know, to get into carpets the moment I saw my first jungle. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have that same sort of a story. So to produce some jungles would be fantastic. And and I think uh, if that's all I got, I, I wouldn't be terribly bummed. However, the the other pairing that's, you know, hand-in-hand hand with that one is uh, a coastal pairing of uh, a tiger jag to a tiger. And the reason reason that one's definitely up there is my, my tiger jag uh, is pretty much my favorite animal that I have. Um, definitely my favorite carpet, but, yeah, as far as all my species, she's, she's definitely my favorite just because um, – She's got some sentimental value to me. You know, I was kind of still learning the ropes. Todd was showing me tons of stuff, and it was just like, there's a kid in a candy store, and you don't know what anything is. You just want to try it all. And he threw this girl in my hands when she was a bit younger, and he was like, what do you think about this? And I was just I was like blown away. It was like my first time seeing one. Um, he had, you know, uh, put a bunch of tiger through the generations to get to her her litter and pairing and it, you know, it reduced the pattern and he explained, you know, how the tiger gene works to me and was really, you know, delving into that. And so that whole thing captivated me. And then, uh, you know, within five minutes of holding her, I was just like looking at everything else and I kind of felt something hit me in the face. I'm like, you know, a couple minutes go by and I wipe my forehead and there's blood on my hand. And I, look and I realized she had nailed me in the face and I didn't even realize <laughs> it. And oh, I just... <laughs> Todd was laughing at me, um, but it was kind of like, it was my first moment where I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. She hit me in the face. I still like her. I'm into these things. I want to breed these. And then, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with um, Todd's Tiger Jack Skeletor. That thing's got like nearly no pattern on it. And he was explaining yes. to me how, you, you know, you keep adding tigering and you reduce it and you reduce it. And then he goes, oh yeah, and this female's uh a sibling to him. I was like, Oh, done. So I'll take it. Yep. That's, that's what I want. Yep. And, um, and so that to me, like if nothing else were to go and I got her to go this season, it'd be fantastic. Cause I tried both her and that jungle last year and got skunked. So it's redemption, it's sentimental value. And it's kind of like my carpet roots, so to speak. Cool. That's cool. I'll take that. I like it. Uh, from you. <laughs> what was that? I'll pick I'll pick that jungle girl from you. I don't have any jungles anymore. You, oh, you can sure you really? can sure try. <laughs> over Good my, luck. Over my I, dead body. Yeah, <laughs> I I got a better idea for you. You could um you could wait and I could uh I could set you up with some of her offspring. Some babies. Yeah. Like that. yeah, yeah. See how that goes. She's got She's got a lot of great background to her and some striping in there, and she's been with a striped male. So, uh, striped 
striped uh, jungles is, is what I'm after, and I know you uh, you're into that a bit. So we'll set you up real proper if all things go well. Knock on some wood. <laughs> these these are how deals are made, and uh, I actually made one with April at this last Tinley. I don't know if she told you guys about that one. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Am I keeping yeah, all yeah. the babies, or are you guys gonna nut up and get to Tinley Park? Whoa, it's uh, it's, I've already got a little jar. Um, I was telling Terrell about how I, <laughs> I how I squirrel my money away in jars and put labels on them so I don't touch them. Um, there's a Tinley jar set up, and right. uh, and and I gotta say, uh, I'm, I go to plenty of shows out here, but I keep hearing about you know, going out there and I've got family in Chicago and I've been there a couple of times and I would love to go back. So, I mean, there's no reason why I shouldn't go. And, you know, maybe we'll drag Tony and Steven and Terrell and whoever The important part is, is that I told her that you'd have to drag Tony and Terrell and you and Steven. Basically the entire crew would have to show up or she doesn't get it. So she's probably now, are we real the- annoying to you guys. So, <laughs> are we limited to the year, or you know, do we have some wiggle room there? I said, I said, next October. Next so, October, oh, all right. I will yeah. be there 2018. All right, I will have it packed yeah. and ready. Yeah, I'll even have a label on it. <laughs> and God help you, if you guys don't show up, I'll send you pictures of it all weekend. So, yeah, and do, actually, uh, it was from my most. Uh, it was from my pairing. It was uh, my most anticipated pairing. It's a super caramel to exanic. So she, ooh. she comes back and she's like, "You have to go. I don't care." What <laughs> <you have to." laughs> there's no debate. She, there's no debate yeah. here anymore. <laughs> we, we got the yeah. full guilt trip for a few okay. days. Oh, good. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> All right, I'll figure it out. Yeah, she. So. I told her that, and she was like, I'll start texting them now. And then I'm like, I will give you this animal. You can get the entire crew here. You get them all and put them in front of me, and I will hand you the carpet python. So now right. uh, I, I feel like I'm going to start ticking people off who uh, don't ch- come to Timley Park. I'm just going to find you and start offering animals to people that I know will annoy you enough to get you to come. So you guys are my first check. So. Nice. To find a new group hey, for next year. If April's okay with the bar tab, then we got to do it. That's between that is between you and her. All right, because bar tabs can get pretty high, but Long anyway, Island iced teas for everyone. Oh exactly. Lord! And then everyone's beard. Yes. and drinks. <laughs> yes. Well, a few of those will knock me sideways. I'll start giving away shit. But um, that's the idea. Uh, of course, but that would probably yeah. be my most anticipated clutch for the season would be my super caramel to my exanic because this is a super caramel that I produced myself. So she's okay. my holdback girl, and I've been waiting for her. Um, the other thing is I'm also going to throw exanics to Tiger because I want to start making some Tiger head exanics because I want to start really refining an exanic project that has some Tiger striping into it. And then the other thing is that uh, – Kyle dropped off two jungle carpets for me to breed um, for him. And uh, it's a scattershot male. And he's like the most beautiful jungle carpet that's ever walked into my coastal 
inhabited room, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is what everyone was talking about. Right? <laughs> right? And I understand. Like, crap. Yeah, I understand yeah. now. <laughs> but yeah. there's that, and then, of course, the White Lips, the Womas, and everything else. So, Well, I don't know which direction to go because we kind of had two things pop up, but I, I guess – I guess I'm going to say this real quick. Why do you think uh, people seem to be focused more on just producing morphs than selective breeding? Besides the obvious that, you know, the, the instant gratification. Um, but and I, I think about this, and this made me think when you were just saying, Riley, about the tiger jag. Now, I mean, we've reflected on this before, you know, back in like 2007, you know, the tiger jag was the animal. I mean, this was just something that just blew everybody away. And it seems to be taken for granted. Now, I would say it's the albino. Terrell, you were talking earlier about how when you couldn't wait to have an albino carpet, myself is the same way. And now that you have it, it seems like everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, it's an albino. Yeah, big deal. You know? Um, yep. And it seems that we're, I don't know, it's almost like it falls into the, dare I say, Royal Python game type of deal, where it's just like, uh, you know, it's like, how many genes can I stick into a snake? Uh, Which is cool, I'm not knocking that at all, but I'm just saying that um, the other thing that made me think of it was, I think it was Ed Bradley that had posted it up maybe a couple weeks ago, but he posted up an emerald tree boa. And when you look at a regular emerald tree boa, as opposed to what he's been breeding for, for 20 years or so, uh, with the white, I mean, it's like a high white. I don't know if you guys caught that. I think it was on Morelia, et cetera, group and mm-hmm. a couple other spots. But I mean, it just, I don't know. It just seems like that selective breeding is sort of taking a backseat. I don't know. What do you guys think and why? Um, I think, like you said, besides the obvious of the instant gratification, I think there's a couple things going on is, um, it's, there's a lot of people working with reptiles these days. You know, it's not such a, a rare thing. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And so people probably, I guess, you know, I'm probably included in this. Everybody wants to, you know, have something that's uniquely theirs or something that, you know, people might identify them with, like, you know, Balin Tiger and, you know, it's just everybody has these, I don't want to say claim to fame, but, you know, something that they're they're known for. Like if somebody's like, hey, you want these, you go to that guy, or you're looking for those, you go to that guy. I think people want something that, you know, can be uniquely theirs and, make them stand out not in like a shallow way like to you know be the brightest star in the bunch but just because with so much that's out there it's really hard to just like I don't know about you guys but I see you know I get into this stuff and I'm like oh my god there's like everything everywhere and all of a sudden my ADD kicks in and I'm like I want that 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 and then I have to stop and like well okay I don't own a warehouse and that's ridiculous and then you know part of it is just people want to see it now they're just impatient I think that's just kind of you know, it's, it's, I think, part identity, it's part impatience, and then I think it also has to stem, like you said, from the ball python community, just because that's such a pervasive species being worked with, 
you know, they don't really specify locality. I guarantee you go ask people where they're from. They're like, they're from Africa somewhere. And, you know, once we go to Italy, there's like three countries or, you know, whatever that they come from. And there's not much emphasis placed on it. So if it's a ball python, it's a ball python. That doesn't matter. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think people look too much beyond that. And so they kind of apply that same approach to, whatever species they're working with. And unfortunately it's bleeding over into carpet. I would say it's instant gratification and the monetary value we put on these animals. I mean, we make up the value that these animals are given, but when you, you have somebody that comes in and then they see that, wow, I can make X amount of money and have this cool snake then they immediately want to do it. They're not really concerned with how to get, like how we got to that point where that animal is that good looking. They just want it so they can breed it and then put a high dollar value on it and make money off of it. But that's typically what I see. So I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I don't really post anything anymore. I just kind of peruse all of the classified sections and then I'll type in carpet python or I'll type in monitor. And I'll see who's selling what for what prices, and then I'll I'll write down by week or by month, you know, how those prices are fluctuating, and who's selling it. Is it somebody that I recognize? Usually, if it's somebody I recognize, the prices usually stay the same, and you can tell that they actually put their heart into that project because there's more explanation to it. Blah blah blah. Like today, I was looking and I took a screenshot, but I saw a carpet python for sale for twenty dollars. Like, how did we even get here? <laughs> wow! Have an animal that is now twenty dollars. Was it like half a carpet python, or was it like a whole carpet python? Because twenty dollars, I imagine they're cutting it in the middle. Twenty sixteen wow. female. For $20. Wow! 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 So it's like that animal wasn't any kind of morph. It was, I think, it was a coastal. I don't remember what it was. But it was a baby, so it, was, it hadn't colored up yet. It wasn't showing uh-huh. any true color. It was a baby. It was like a literal baby. Right. But it wasn't albino. It wasn't exanic. It had no kind of cool marker that would sell somebody on it. So, I mean, what's the value of it then? Nothing. So then you sell it for $20 just to get rid of it. Wow. I didn't know. It was, I, I, <laughs> I haven't seen that, but, man, that's. Let me see if I can find it. I saved it on my work computer. That's you know, corn snake territory. Listing, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel bad listing my normal baby carpets for like eighty dollars. I'm like, oh god, that's far too low. And somebody's listening for twenty. Holy shit! So, yeah, it's pretty sad to see. It's it's discouraging, you know. Like when you spend time raising these animals for years to actually get them to a point where, you know, you can breed them, you can pick out the best ones, and then move on further with that project. When, you know, albinos are popping out left and right, so mine aren't going to stand out anymore, which I don't care about. I'm doing it for me. But I have other projects mm-hmm. I could do that with, but I choose not to because it's not helping anything. Like, I could have oh, I could have just heavily fed my super zebra, got my mail up, made exanic super zebras and then just sold them off as quickly as possible. But that project isn't as important to me as the albino thing. So 
think they're going to wait for another year, maybe the year after. I don't know. I have them, but I don't have to breed them. Wasn't there a pair of albino jags for like, was it 600 bucks? It was less than 500, I think. It depends on what hour you found it at. Oh, oh, it was. Oh, depends on on what hour. Yeah, uh, dude, that thing dropped. I mean, uh, damn. That guy's got a. Those things are burning a hole through that dude's cage, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Um,. I don't want to like. I don't want to like get elaborate. Um, I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but I know um, that he helps people sell some of their animals, or will come into animals that you know he's just helping move them along, sort of thing with his business. And you know, I don't want to use the term flipper because that kind of has a negative connotation. And he most certainly is not. He's an intelligent individual who's very smart and good at you know, what he does in his niche of reptiles. And I don't, I don't mean to say any of this negatively, which is why I'm kind of hesitant to even get into it. Cause I know people are going to take it and say, Oh, really? We're saying this and that and putting fingers in it. You know, that's not my intent. And I've had a rough day as it is. So if anybody does that, you're going to, yeah, you're going to really set me off. But um, it's just, yeah. When you don't work in that particular species, it's hard to really gauge the value of those animals even more so. And if you're going off of somebody's recommendation and you're not willing to sit on and hold on to them, dropping the prices until somebody picks them up, it doesn't seem like that bad of an idea from that perspective. Um, it's, yeah, I, I guess I should just well, stop right there, but yeah, know. might as well. But in my opinion, it is kind of a dumb thing to do because 600 bucks for a pair of Albano Jags isn't bad. And someone would eventually have spent that money on those $600 pair of Jags. By dropping them even further, you're kind of slitting your own throat here. You're, you're leaving money on the table because you're impatient. But that's six of one, and that's my opinion, whether or not I have no idea who this guy is or what we're talking about. But it's just the way the market is in a lot of other things is that people aren't willing to wait. And because they're not willing to wait, they're willing to allow animals to go away for way cheaper than I think they should, where if you just pump the brakes and hold off, you know, obviously there are the animals that are going to be worth, you know, $300 coming out of the egg. And then they're going to be the ones that you need to wait till they color up. Then they're going to be the ones that need to wait to put some more size on it. So every animal will eventually hit the price tag that you want it for. That's why I tend to price my animals what I know they're going to be worth. And then if you want it, you buy it, and then it grows into what the money you spent for it. Or you wait, and all of a sudden one day I open up that bin, and now it's going to be – now someone's going to want it for that price. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't get it. Let's talk about market and really piss ourselves off, Eric. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, all right, so – I think I tend to think that some of this has to do with overproduction. I think that uh, people are just putting things together and they're not really focusing on growing the community. And when you do that, eventually there's going to come become a point where there's saturation. And I think that overproducing stuff is something that, um, 
it's kind of a taboo subject, I think, sometimes, you know, because you don't want to tell somebody what they should or shouldn't breed, and I get that. But at the same time, I don't know. I think that there has to be a little bit of responsibility there if you just have I, – I, I, I guess you could look at it this way. If you if you just have these two average jungles, right, and you put them together, and you think that you're even going to be able to compete anywhere close to something that, say, Andrew Paris produces or Headhunter produces, I mean, that's just you're – just, you're just fooling yourself. You know what I mean? I mean, right. these guys have top-of-the-line animals uh, that they've put years of breeding into – and you're not just going to – if you put two ugly jungles together, you're going to get ugly babies. ugly babies. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. What do you, you guys think one about – good-looking one. Do you think that carpets are overproduced? Um, uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts? I think they are. Uh, that's kind of why I've refocused what I wanted to do and switched to um, more unique IJs like – you and Riley both have imports from the same group I have them from. So I'll be working more with stuff like that. Uh, and occasionally doing like, like I have a really cool pairing that I want to do. So I'm going to do it not so much to sell them, but to start a lime breeding project uh, going forward. But I do think that they're overproduced, especially if you get into how quickly we're dropping prices. That means that the market, there's too many of them. Yeah. I would agree. What about you, Riley? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago when I was, well, let's say only two years ago, when I was still kind of growing my collection, the shop owner in town that I help out with, you know, he was shocked to see that, at two years ago, the price of albinos was, you know, where it was, I don't know, like around seven bucks, 700 to a thousand still for, you know, even some, some crosses a couple of years ago. And, you know, he, he kept saying, I'm surprised that, you know, they haven't dropped like ball pythons do. And I couldn't figure out why, but he kept saying, he's like, well, you know, some of these animals can have clutches in double digits. Whereas, you know, that uh, for a ball python to lay, 10 eggs is a big litter sort of deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they've already crashed, you know, why aren't carpets following the same suit? And, you know, look where we are not even like two years after he said that. And it's, you know, it's like, that's pretty, pretty spot on. So I think part of it is overproduction. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is also speculation. Uh, when somebody who's got, you know, a hundred thousand followers out of, you know, the reptile community on some social media platform. And he says something about, Oh, you know, carpets are going to drop. Or if that person starts selling, there's a little bit lower. It sets off a, a domino effect. I mean, one little negative speculation and people start losing their freaking minds just because somebody that they consider, you know, very knowledgeable and, and up there and in, in the, whatever topic they're getting at, you know, they start believing it and taking it as fact. And, you know, so we do create our own market drops. Now, I think everything is going to go in waves and it's going to, you know, everything has their ups and downs and fads come and go and things will kind of level out as people start agreeing with what's an acceptable price for those uh, particular animals. But, you know, I think, 
I think it's going to crash if we keep saying it's crashing. If we say, no, it's going to retain and we start pumping the brakes and maybe not breeding every single female we have every year and, you know, maybe being a little more calculated and things, I think we can, you know, keep it from going too far downhill, but who the heck knows? Ah, there's no, you know, one right answer. And I think it's a convergence of factors kind of come into play here. I mean, yeah. Travis, uh, our friend Travis up in Paso Robles at uh, Living Legless, he has some of the most beautiful coastals I've ever seen. No morphs, no nothing fancy, but he's got, you know, meticulous lineage from Nick, and he's very, very particular about the animals in his collection, and it shows. I mean, he's got some, some coastals that blow some jungles out of the water. He even sent uh, a photo of um, of one of his coastals into our like a, a little chat group that we had going on. And he's like, I'm just going to leave this jungle here jokingly. And I knew what it was. Cause I had, you know, I had seen that animal a few days prior and it, they're stunning. And that's where the quality is on it. But, you know, people don't appreciate that. And, you know, when the next morph comes out and all of a sudden everything starts dropping. So everything else has to drop and it's just a cascade effect. And it's, you know, it makes, it makes selling beautiful lineage, amazing coastals like that impossible he's got animals from last year that he can't sell he can't give them away and i don't get Mm -hmm. so i think it's a lot of different stuff yeah owen what are your thoughts i definitely think that carpets are overproduced um it's just it's one of those things where a lot of people don't tend to realize that if you still have babies hanging around from the year prior you shouldn't repeat that pairing. I mean, I know you might have loved the pairings, and I know you might have sold, like, six or seven of them with great ease, but if you still have more than ten from a certain pairing, there's really no need to continue the pairing again for the year. Give the female the year off. Breed the male to a different girl. Do something else. I think it's a lot of the, I only have this pair of coastals, so I'm going to keep breeding this pair of coastals every year. But why? So... It's just the way it goes. As far as price dropping, it's dropping all over the place because people are searching for the next ball python thing. And I've actually been approached by several people that want to know if carpets is the next ball python thing. And they don't like the answer I keep giving them, which is there is no next ball python. That was a one-off deal. You found a perfect snake that could fit in a perfect drawer. They could breed with 10 females that was from a country or from countries that didn't have any exportation laws, so you could bring them in by the thousands and didn't have any genetic mutations until you started bringing them in captivity. So, no, there will be no next ball python. That happened. It's done. So, um, as far as carpets being overproduced, uh, it's a thing. It totally happens, and you can obviously see it when it comes to the slashing of prices and how quickly a price of a morph will drop. This is nothing new. So, um, you know, there weren't that many people interested in carpets, and even then they were still overproduced. But as more people got into it, the demand for more carpet pythons kind of met with how many animals were being produced. I've never, ever actually sold out every single baby animal that I've produced in one year before the the following year's babies are hatching. Um, The good thing about carpet pythons is they don't color up until they're about a year old. So a lot of times I'm selling last year's babies while this year's babies are growing up. So there's a plus there. 
but it kind of just comes down to that know how many animals you can handle and know what animals people are going to want and you won't overbreed. Like I, if I could, I could probably take my caramel jag and breed him to every single female I got. But why would I do that? I would have just caramel jags and I still have caramel jags from last year. So there's really no point. He's going to one female. And if they don't breed this year, I'm not going to cry over it. So, I mean, that's kind of why I've spoken with Eric about this for a few times. I have the carpet pythons. That's why I'm also building new projects to play with, you know, the colubrid projects, um, the womas, the white lips, things like that, other animals, just so you can breed them too. And you can have a little bit more selection on the table. Man, I got I got a lot of things going through my head when it comes to this type of topic, but let it all out. <laughs> First, I would say that everybody knows for the most part that I'm taking this breeding season off. And although yeah. I would say 85% of it has to do with my move, you know, and not wanting to stress mm-hmm. the animals out, I would say that the decision is much easier to make when um, I don't know if I, you know what I mean? Like I just, to me, unless you grow the community larger and get more people wanting to get a carpet Python, I think that sometimes it's, you know, the overproduction of animals is, I don't know. I just need to me personally, I just need a, a pause, a, a break, uh, from from this, put it together and really get my passion flowing again for the animals and 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 that's where it started, so to speak. I think that when it comes to at least when I was getting into carpets, it seemed like there were certain people that had certain animals and you knew these animals and you wanted something from this pairing. I think somehow we lost that. And I want to see that come back. And I think if that comes back, you I, I think this is sort of what you were hitting on, Terrell, and, and this is sort of like, sort of how my, especially with my IJ projects, how they're kind of geared, is that I have particular animals that I have that nobody else has. So if you want that, you have to come to me. And I'm not going to drop the price. Like, one of the reasons why I haven't moved any Poison Ivy babies is simply because you're not going to want to pay what I think they're worth. And I'm not saying that they're thousands of dollars, but I'm not selling them for, what did you say that carpet was? $25? Get the hell out of here. $25, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you get a free leopard gecko with it? Come on. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I did not know it came with a free leopard gecko. Well, that's a I'm game changer. Buy me- <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. All right. That's like a $40 value now. Okay. For $20. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think, I mean, Leopard you bring up. Those are the new ball python. Yeah. They are. They are. They really are actually. Well, no, the scary thing is, is when was the last time you saw a wild type leopard gecko at a show? What does that even look like? It looks like a leopard. Because that's where they got their name. I know, right? So, and I, I said that to Eric, and Eric said the exact same thing. What do they look like? I'm like, they look like a goddamn <laughs> leopard from the get-go. So, 
And that's exactly it. They've been bred so much, no one's breeding wild-type leopard geckos anymore. They have to go out and find new localities to make it interesting. So that's, I think, unfortunately, where some snake species could be headed. So go yeah, on, Eric. Well, I'll stop you. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Riley. I was going to say, I, uh, I jokingly, but the more we get into this, I'm kind of serious about it. Um, I only have two ball pythons, and they're both uh, wild types, classics, normals, whatever the hell you want to call them. And for this very reason alone, I, I like to mess with people's heads when they, they talk about it. I'm like, yeah, um, I'm pretty excited about this project. I don't really know if I should say it, but, you know, I got this 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 gene that I'm working with, and it's um, – uh, it's the B-A-N gene. And, you know, I, I jokingly want to breed my normals and call them badass normals and just put an acronym and just mess with people. <laughs> thousands probably of dollars. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. thousands of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Put them on the table for a grand. I'm the only person in the world who has them. Sorry. I think, oh I think, I think part, of the, part of the other issue that plays into this is the fact that people see other people, you know, like, you know, we've seen Nick and Paul and Jason and, and, and Todd and all these guys that have been doing it for, for, for a while. Um, and, and, and they sell their snakes and they don't, they don't really have a lot of issues selling their snakes by the end of the year, so to speak. You know, I mean, I mean, I think, so people are attracted to that sort of like what you guys were saying about the money part of it. Um, and I think that they think that they're going to be able just to buy these snakes and then just breed them and then just be able to sell them. But the problem is, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't work like that. You know, like you have to put work into it. You have to put work into, uh, you know, making sure that people know what your name is and who you are and, and, and what kind of animals you have. You can't just show up it, as much as you, the animals will sell themselves, which is just bullshit because they won't. It is. You know, no. they just won't. Um, <laughs> They'll sit there. <laughs> you know, okay, you can so have... Here's the... where, oh, go ahead, Eric. No, 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 go ahead. What were you going to say? We, we were talking about that exact thing because we were talking about, you know, people come in, they see the prestigious names have this animal. Your animals look like this. So they buy from this particular person and they continue uh-huh. to buy from this particular person. And then mm-hmm. they breed them and they're from the same person and they try to sell them on like as their own animals. But it's like, if, if I oh. saw them and I knew where those animals came from, why wouldn't I just buy them from the person that you got them from? Correct. I don't. I don't know who you are to actually be like. Well, yeah, I can trust that guy and then buy it from you. Even if I did know who you are, why would I buy it from you? Why wouldn't I just go to the source? I you know, I go mean, exactly just... to the source. Yes, that's that's why you need some different projects. You know, it's okay to buy one animal from one person and then buy an animal from a different person because if you just keep buying brother and sister from breeders you're not going to have anything different. And, and I've had it where I've produced tigers from my Balin line animals and then had to set up a table next to Jason Balin and try to sell my Balin line tigers next to Jason Balin. Like, and they didn't right sell well. So, right from. I mean, 
Exactly. Why am yes. I going to go to you? The guy's right there. So well, I think I think then, part of that part of that has to do with the fact of, you know, you want bragging rights. I think people want bragging rights. So is it going to sound better that oh check out this tiger and I post it up on Facebook and it's like oh who produced that oh Jason Balin did and people are going to be like oh that's fucking awesome or is it going to be like oh who produced that oh Owen McIntyre. Oh, big deal. Becca, you know what I mean? I didn't mean it. Well, I'm just saying because you said you were next to the table. But what I'm saying is is that the person that doesn't know you or doesn't know him, they, they, they want the bragging rights to be able to say, well, my oh, animal yeah. is a bailing line tiger. You know what I, I mean? It's I, like, and we've talked about that. There's always the people who come up to the table who say more last names ever than than their own. It's like, oh, I crossed my Balin line animal with my Mojo line animal with my Howard line animal with my this line animal. I'm like, how many animals did we just talk about? Because all I heard were last names, and I'm pretty sure there were only two involved. So that's the that's a lot of the, definitely the bragging rights tend to come through. But that's probably you should also favorite. be proud of your own stock. I mean, that's why I'll I just throw up tigers. And I won't tell you who produced the parents until you ask me. It's like, mm-hmm. these are my tigers. I made them. And then they're like, oh, what line? Oh, they're bailing line. There you go. That's smart. Now, see, Thank you. <laughs> see, this is where, well, this is where we go back to the question at the beginning. It's like, how do you label your animals? So, you know, I've struggled with this with citrus tigers. At some point, I just want to put tigers on it and not be locked into the citrus tiger. But the problem I have with that is that I don't want that to be, I don't want somebody to come along and think that, you know, that lineage go is, is a hundred percent back to the original line of tigers. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, right. how, how do, how do I, how do I do that? Do I, do I call this citrus? And then I got the people that are coming up like, Oh Yeah that people think that citrus is a gene. They're just, that's just stupid. And I'm, first of all, have you ever even seen one in in real life? So like, if you haven't seen it, then you need to shut the hell up because I, you know, I, I, Oh, and you've seen them. You've seen the ones I that look have. this way and you've seen the one yes. that looked that way. And I think yes. that if you saw, you would see, okay, well, whether it's a gene, whether it's polymorphic, whether whatever you want to call it, it's still There's something different. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you call exactly. a red coastal I, a coastal. A red coastal. Well, and you don't just call it a red co- or a coastal. Why do you do that? Because, because there's something else it. there. Right. <laughs> Again, you're not leaving money on the table. Now, if I were to take a normal tiger, like straight up tiger line, next to uh, a red tiger – Next to a citrus tiger, next to like you know, but you're gonna start seeing the differences between everybody. So, yeah, I've seen enough tigers to know that with the citrus tigers, there's something else there, and that you can't just label them as tigers as much as you'd like to, because of the fact of their lineage plus the something else that is there. But so, also, I'm not saying that it's some magical new gene. You know what no, I mean? So there's like kind of like a telling it like it is. There's kind of a balance there because I know that some people will come along and you got this like, oh, I got this new gene and it's blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. 
You mean you're, you um, mean you're not one of those guys that immediately jumps to this freaky thing that I had? She's got to be a new morph. Let me name it and try to reproduce <laughs> it and get as much money out of it as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good job. Yeah. So, I think with all this talk of uh, you know overproduction of carpets, which has probably led us to the next two things in the last year, is both wholesale and auctions. What do you guys think of mm. those two? Uh, go ahead, Riley. You have more experience than that. <laughs> Dead silence. Ooh. Dead silence fills the airwaves. Bro, was, <laughs> was that a shot? Oh, my God. Man, why does the auction topic always come up with me? Damn it. Um, no. Uh, wholesale. If we're wholesaling stuff, we're, we're overproducing. I think that's just kind of where it goes. I... I you know, and that that goes back into the misrepresentation. Like, if you're wholesaling them, how are you going to guarantee that the people that are going to turn around and sell them are going to accurately represent that animal to those to the next buyer? And you know, to me, that is just like if if I'm producing carpets that I can't sell, um, you know, and say I've got the customer base already for it, and say my name is much more widespread and this and that, and they're still not selling. You know, that, that to me is a couple of red flags right there. So, I don't know. I hope I never get to the wholesaling point. Um, that being said, this year I did wholesale off a couple of rainbow boas just to, you know, open up some space because I was not prepared for 34 babies in one litter. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, wow. I actually just sent off the last pair of those the other day. But, um yeah, I mean, like, if we're wholesaling them, doesn't that, doesn't that mean we've got too many of them? I mean, yeah, sure, some people are going to wholesale some stuff just to, you know, be done with it, and they don't really care too much, I'm sure, but I don't know. And then auctions, it's kind of in the same thing. Like, unless it's, you know, for good intent, it's like, what else am I going to donate to this auction that's, you know, benefiting U.S. Arc or a victim of a tragedy or something like that? Like, I, I think those are a little different, but, um, you know... Uh, it's a touchy subject. Um, I don't know. I think if we're getting to that point, we really need to start looking back and, and asking ourselves, are we doing this the responsible way? Are we overproducing? Should we maybe take a year off? Like imagine if the entire Morelia community took a year off, what that would do to the market. Uh, I want baby 2016 uh, albinos. Man, I'm sorry. They, uh, they skipped a year. And by they, I mean everyone. So you get what you get. Like, imagine if we limited the, you know, the market that way. I have no idea what it would do if that would, you know, level prices out or if, you know, that would turn people off from Morelli entirely. But, like, what if? Like, I don't know. Are we are we doing too much? Maybe. So, what's right. going Terrell? So, as far as wholesale, um, why are we wholesaling it? Are you fulfilling a obligated order to like a, a dedicated reptile shop that happens to buy from you when you have large clutches? Or did you produce more animals than you want to actually take care of and want to waste the time trying to sell? So you're just getting rid of them. It depending on the reason there there's pros and cons to it that I can that I can see for doing it. I've never whole, whole, I've never done any kind of wholesale, but I was telling Riley earlier that when I had uh, babies from last year, 
I was going to wholesale them so I could get supplies, and then I didn't end up doing it. So I've thought about it before, but I've just never actually done it. And as far as options, I'm with Riley on that. If it's for a good cause, then that's fine. Like uh, in January at the Pomono Show, I won an auction for some probably wholesale uh, plated lizards. It was for U.S. Ark, so I had no problem buying them. They died. <laughs> so it's like I, went, I didn't oh, no. money doing it, but now I don't right. have the animals that I was trying yep. to get. So, I mean, auctions are very – they can be very damaging, especially because it only takes one or two auctions of a particular thing to be a certain price, and then that seems to be the set price for that animal going forward. It's like, well – I saw it on auction for this, so this is what it now is. When in reality, it's not true. But you can't, you can't really stop it. Right. Owen. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, um, what I feel about auctions is you're pretty much limiting yourself. You're, you're cheating yourself. Again, you're leaving money on the table because you're impatient. And is that because you bred too many of them? Probably. So now people will come back and say that you can set a, uh, what the hell is it? Reserve? Yeah. So, hey, the reserve's $200. But, okay, now you're automatically saying that no matter what, you believe this animal's worth $200. You're hoping to get more for it, but it's worth $200. That's your reserve. So now, say that animal doesn't sell at the auction, and you take it to a show, and you try to sell it for $275, which is what you originally priced it at, nobody's going to want it because they saw it online for $200. That's where we're going. So what you're doing is you're, you're, trying, you're, set, you're setting the basement. You're, you're, you're already slashing it down to where the basement is. And you're hoping to God that you don't go below that, even though you'll see where it's at. Now, some people say, clearly, by the auctions, we now know what people will spend for a carpet python. And I don't think you do. Because I've had numerous people come out of nowhere and just spend a bunch of money on a, car, a carpet python because they like it. Um. I had a uh, baby jag get shipped out yesterday. Somebody paid uh, $200 for it. I put it up there because it hadn't colored up. It looked pretty. I produced its parents. Um, I raised its grandparents, so I kind of knew where it was going. They bought it because they wanted it as a pet. They really like carpet pythons, really like jags, really like her. Done, whatever. So I could have sold that thing at an auction or wholesaled it out for 60 70 bucks. Ended up selling it for $200. So it's kind of a no-brainer here. And people say, how long did I keep it and have to raise it up for? It hatched in June. I fed it a couple hoppers. Not that long. So patience really does kind of help you out here. Uh, That's as far as auctions. As far as wholesaling, I've done wholesaling. I've done it before. Um, I wholesaled my first ever clutch of carpet pythons that I ever produced. Um, It was a jungle coastal to a coastal. They all came out looking like carpet pythons. Um, Wholesaled the entire clutch, not feeding. Sold them all. Um, I've produced produced enough carpet pythons in one year that I kind of got a little overwhelmed and made the decision to wholesale them out for my own sanity and ended up only wholesaling about 
10 or 12 of them. That's kind of where I usually draw the line, and they're usually all straight coastals, no morphs or anything like that. So I know that they're going to be sold at some table for like 60 bucks, 70 bucks is what it is. Um, I know other breeders that also wholesale if they feel a little overwhelmed by the year. And maybe they shouldn't breed that many, but whatever. Sometimes you don't expect all the females to breed, and sometimes they surprise you and do it themselves. So it's kind of easy to where you can get kind of a little knocked sideways. Uh, I try, So basically I'll try to say this thing. I will actively avoid auctions because I don't like them because I feel like I'm undercutting myself and my animals. As far as wholesaling, I will do it, but I like to avoid it if possible. I think I think before we move on, segue into the next topic, I think I think the auction thing, I think the thing that I I agree with Terrell pretty much what all you guys said as far as you know, when it's for a good cause, I look at that different. Um as far as I mean, if you're going to do auctions, then I'm not going it's not like I I'm not going to talk to you because you do auctions. Um personally, it's not something that I would do because I feel like it devalues the animal and I think that an auction becomes an impulse buy. So, I would much rather develop a customer base that would come to me and I can give them that same type of deal behind closed doors because they're a good customer. Um, rather than doing it out in the public like that. And I think that sometimes when you, I mean, I mean, we've all made impulse purchases that we've regretted. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, you think you get super excited about something and you're like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to go and get a, a whole bunch of these. And I like this and I like that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, next thing you know, you're like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I, I gotta, yeah. I gotta pump the brakes here because, I don't even know if I like this species, you know? I mean, right. uh, me and Owen were talking uh, last week about that with chondros. It just seems like, you know, as much as I love chondros, it just seems that to for me, it, it's like I get just kicked in the nuts every single time <laughs> I'm trying I, to do anything I, with I, chondros, <laughs> you know? And it's just I, like, I can't keep, I can't be so successful with this group of snakes and be so unsuccessful with this group of snakes. And I just don't understand why. Um, and it makes me like, okay, well maybe this is a snake that I have to appreciate from afar. Uh, and it's not something that conversation. um, (laughs) Yeah. Something that I necessarily want to work with because I don't want my, my keeping experience and breeding experience to be negative all the time. I think that, We've no. somehow made that if you breed a species that's easy to breed, that somehow you're not relevant in the in the herp to culture world. And I think that's such bullshit. You know, it's like yeah. I have to breed Boland's pythons in order to be somebody. Fuck you. You do not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just think that's just so ridiculous. And even if you don't want to step outside of the carpet world, I mean, everybody talks about white lips are hard to breed and scrub pythons are hard to breed. Did you ever try diamond pythons? Maybe you want to try them before you step outside of the world. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I just think hey. that, like, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that I have a problem with people that do it. I'm just saying that there. It's. I don't think that the people that necessarily are doing it are people that want to mm. do it because 
Like you take somebody like Keith McPeak, right? This guy is like what I'm talking about with carpet pythons. He's talking about with his Boland's pythons. This guy is passionate about Boland's pythons. He's trying to figure out these animals because he's bred all these other animals. He wants another challenge. He's moved up to the next level. He wants to see if he can do this because he wants to apply everything he learned from working with all these other different species. I have no problem right. with moving up the tier, but there's this new person that comes along and sees something on Facebook and it's be like, well, I'm going to be the guy that breeds Boland's pythons. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, no, you're not. You're not. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. And it doesn't make you any more special than the guy that bred an albino ball python together uh, to me, in my eyes, in my opinion, you know, as long as you have passion for the animal, I think that's what gets lost. It's like you, you have to have this, this badge of like, oh, well, I'm Mr. Hurt the Culture because I, I, have, I have 42 scrub pythons. And what happens with every single person that gets scrub pythons? I see it every single time since I've been doing radio python radio. They go out, yeah. they buy a whole goddamn group. They have like this. 45 scrub pythons and then all of a sudden they're like i gotta sell my collection why do you think yeah. that These happens suck. <laughs> because they suck <laughs> they fucking bite your face they shit all over you they, you know <laughs> you can't breed them there's no there's no gratification in, in it nobody can just go and say i'm going to try a pair of them you know what I mean? It's like no, I have to have, I have to have this locale and this locale and this locale, yeah, and it's just like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. Yep. It just, I don't even know how I got on that rant, but that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know, so, but yeah, I have a buddy Mike who has he has a pretty good uh, assortment of animals Riley's seen him he's got probably the coolest collection of pythons lizards anything you can think of he has it and so uh i've been working with him on the weekends helping him take care of his collection and he's got albino olives olives scrubs water pythons and like looking as as some clean shit and they're trying to musk and fucking bite me they're like yeah i mean these are cool but i get to go home at the end of the day like i don't have to take care of them I don't want them anymore. Correct. Being able to see what they're like instead of just going out and being at a show. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll pick up a couple scrubs, try those out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I like that idea. I had a friend who wanted to do – I had a friend who pretty much fell in love with my Maclots. And he's like, I want a Liasis. I'm like, you need to come over here, and I need to take you to, to, you know, Liasis school before you go out and buy something stupid. And – he came over, he took care of my olives, my Max, my Savus, my water pythons, and all this other stuff. He ended up not getting a Mac, he ended up getting a Savu because he liked them better and they seemed to be way better mannered and more suited to what he could afford and take care of. So, and that was, he tried to buy like three or four Maclots pythons before he came over. So, a lot of times we see this stuff, we're like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Pretty shiny snake, exactly. So, and that happens all the time. It even happens to me. I mean, I don't. I hate my Dominican red mountain boa. I hate them so much. But <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing this. But it, it just it happens. They're cool. They're pretty, 
and then after a year or so, you could totally despise them. I mean, and that was the conversation Eric and I had as I, I, I uh, we were talking before the show in the pre-game in the pre-show show. I don't know what the hell. Um, and I'm like, listen, would you like? Do you think it would be a horrible thing if I got rid of my chondros? And he immediately is like, no, no, it wouldn't, because I hate him. I'm like, oh, well, there we go. So, and it's even worse, I think, for the two of us, is because we keep having all these really passionate breeders on the show who talk about their species of snake that they absolutely love and are passionate about, and then we somehow get hooked into it. Yeah. I dislike blood pythons. Somehow I ended up with one. So. Well, yeah, I'm, I- I'm blocking those by default. <laughs> No, <laughs> that you have no, you yeah, have no you don't choice. Have a choice. You're done, yeah. dude. Yeah, you don't know. You, we have sweet ass short so I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, you know. I should I should clarify something real quick. I'm not saying that that the, I know people that that are into scrub pythons and they're super passionate about scrub pythons and they don't give a shit about what the market is or if they ever produce them or if they get bit in the face 15 times. They don't give a shit because they love the species. And that's awesome. And that's the people that should work with those species. What I find sometimes is like, especially with you take a, a, an animal like a Boland python, right? Mm. It, it's an expensive animal. You're not just going to run out and get a pair of these things. And I think that sometimes that it doesn't fall into the hands of the people that really would work the species well, you know, because they can't yeah. afford it or they can't, they can't get into that level. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that sometimes that's a shame because, you know, ultimately the species suffers in herpticulture, if that makes sense, if I'm saying that right. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I, I and, just because you have a Bowen's Python doesn't mean that you're like some elitist type of person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think that some people, if they're honest with themselves, I think we've all done it. I'm guilty of it myself. It's like, oh, well, I'm E.B. Morelia, so somehow I have to have just as many chondros as I do carpets. Not really. <laughs> nope. Or I, I have nope. to have a rough scale. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, well. I'm happy with what I got. You know, and that's and that's fine because see, Owen, you're super passionate yes. about rough scales, right? I you're am. You're just like, yeah. You're just like crazy about these things. To me, I am. <laughs> to me, it's a bumpy I brown think, snake. Yeah, it's like okay, it's cool. It's from Australia. One day I'll want it, but uh, it's not something that I have to have. And I pumped the brakes on that because I want like twelve in my. In my in my past early days, I would have ran out because I thought that somehow that would have made me more legitimate, if that makes sense. Right. It yeah. Does, and I hate to – I mean, I hate to break it to you. Abricata does nothing for me. So there you go. That's the trade-off. Exactly. I, you're, when they come in, you're going to be like, eh, it looks like it, a ghost. Eh, it's a carpet <laughs> python. And you're going to be like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it is what it is. So. I think yeah. – I'm sorry to keep harping up all the time here, but I think that I think that we have to have more of an open mind in the whole. Forget about just in reptiles in the whole goddamn world. It's like if if somebody else has a differing opinion of you, somehow now they're on another team, and you have mm-hmm. to fight that team. And it's like no, that's bullshit. 
Why can't you just be happy? Well, like, for instance, here's an example, rough scales. I'm happy that Owen's super passionate about rough scales. But that doesn't mean that I have to, like, well, uh, just like he just said, well, like, oh, well, you don't like Impropicata, so you must be a moron. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, oh, well, you don't like rough scales, so you must be a sucky keeper. You know, it's just that, like. That, that, that is actually what I'm like, and I've said that numerous times. But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I just can't celebrate the fact that you know, oh, Owen is super excited about this species. Why are you super excited about it? And then maybe because he's super excited about it, maybe it will get me super excited about it, and maybe I'll get one. And then who knows? Maybe I'll be just as super excited about it, and maybe I won't. You know, I think I think that's sometimes where we miss the ball is that you know instead of trying to copy what everybody else is doing my famous line, you do you boo type of deal. And <laughs> you, you focus on what you're doing in your snake room. And I think everything else will fall in place. I don't know. What do you guys yeah, think? You'll I'm, be, I'm you'll, done talking. You'll be fine. Good. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with that entirely. I think uh, a big thing that would keep people from diving off a deep end like that is getting pulled under somebody's wing and getting to experience their collection in some variety and learn from that before they go out and jump into things. And um, I had a moment where, you know, like four years ago, um, I felt that where I was like, you know, getting the the real excitement after I was like, oh, my God, I can keep all this and this and this. And it it only takes this much space. And, you know, I was I could I could feel my gears going and like I was about to just take off. But I guess uh, it didn't really go too deep for me because working at the zoo, I see everything and at first i'm like i want all of this i want multi-tail skinks i want australian frail dragons i want oh, you God. know i want uh shoot, what else do we even know? i don't know i want freaking caiman and turtles and this and that and milky frogs and uh bull snakes and hognose and everything but you know after a couple months of doing that um you know the novelty of it all wore off and i was kind of like eh i'm glad <laughs> But I didn't go spend $1,200 on a monkey tail skink because after you get bit by those things like three times and you start have to plug holes with super glue, that sucks. And, uh, yeah, I'd rather yeah. use those there. So. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I got nailed by one of our big females the other day, and I wasn't even looking, and that sucked. <laughs> they bite hard. I mean, Mike Curtin got uh, – he was telling me at the last White Plane show, he and I were talking, he's got a few monkey tails, that one of them was, like, licking the back of his head, and he goes, oh, that's nice. Then it just bit down, he goes, what the hell? So it just, like, bit on the back of his head, and he had this really nice kind of V-shaped marking from where the thing kind of just mm-hmm. bit and held on. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. They do that. The babies nice. do it a lot. Yeah. Terrell and April came to the zoo, and I was showing them some babies because we had twins last year. And uh, one of them was already noticeably friendly, and the other one was not. I went to go grab the friendly one off the wall, and it left off the wall, latched onto my thumb while they were watching, and took a, the most gnarly hole out of the tip of my thumb, and everybody had a wonderful time laughing at me bleeding. Well, nice. So it was a basic normal trip to the zoo. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Standard. Standard. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, standard Riley trip. Yeah, cool. I, yeah, I get bit a lot. Me too. That's why Owen doesn't work at the zoo anymore. He got tired of holes in here. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. 
Go ahead, Terrell. You going to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to echo Riley's point about I think it's advantageous to be around the animals that you want because you pass it and it looks cool and you see somebody else getting it, you're like, man, I really want some of those. But until you actually work with it and see it, like, I wanted water pythons, but that is, like, oh, the fucking God. snake I've ever seen in my life. I was like, fuck that. I don't want that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, you I must have, have saw Owen's email. Covered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I have, to, I have to keep her bin covered or she will mess up her face. And, like, and she'll, like, I'll walk by it, and then she'll keep hitting the front of the tub for at least 20 minutes. And cleaning her and feeding her is always an adventure. And my dumbass moved her up to medium rest, so now she's starting to get size on her. You know, apparently this, this animal will be the death of me. I already know. And the male is the sweetest thing on the planet. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, buddy. In a year, you're probably going to have to go in there. So, you know... <laughs> Is what it yeah, is. and it works out water pythons. Because, yeah, you but you enjoy them. For me, it was more of just a pleading. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a cool snake. I get, you know, I can get some of those. I I don't think that anymore. But right. That's <laughs> just that's just how it goes. You're trying out different animals. Like I was, <laughs> that's what Riley today. I was like, so I bought something new, and he's like, what? And I was like, lizards. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Shit with hands. <laughs> oh no, this thing's got feet <laughs> and four of them. Uh, what so, kind of lizard? I got cave geckos, a trio of them. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, all right. That's cool. I like cave geckos. I thought yeah, we were gonna go like cro- if we if you had said croc monitor, I would have been like, well. This will be the last time we speak to Terrell. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He might be able to he wrestle talk- one of them, man. <laughs> Dude, you remember you the croc at Andrew's place? No. No one wrestles crocs. I just don't like big lizards anymore. Like, my tegus are the biggest that I want now. I've had monitors in the past, but I just like more, I guess, things that people don't have a lot of. I like working with those. Like I, I, I'm really into plated lizards, and they're perfect for me because mm. nobody wants to buy them because they're forty dollars, and no one ever wants to breed them. So I'm like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you all of them. To a certain extent, I think things are cyclical, and you know, you see like uh, ring pythons. I mean, they pretty much disappeared, and then all of a sudden, their price went from a hundred bucks to a thousand bucks. And and it's not that the price matters so much, but I think the fact that at least they weren't lost um, in captivity, um, you know, uh, and Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody stayed working with them because they were excited about them. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a cool thing, but I was going to say, I guess this leads into the, uh, the, the topic of the community. Um, and, you know, we were talking about how Facebook, I personally can't stand Facebook. The more and more uh, days go by, I am on it less and less. Uh, I use, like, the Messenger, the chat thing, more than I do the actual Facebook. If it's not snakes and people fighting about it, it's it's like politics and people. I, I just, it drives me, I just need a break. I, I can't, I can't. Um, but 
in the fragmented world like Facebook, where everyone can start their own group and say what they want and do what they want, um, whereas opposed to back in the days of, I know, Owen, a forum where mm-hmm. you, you couldn't just go and start a forum. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's a little more uh, to it than that. Um, so how do we unite the community together to make sure that we educate people on the ins and outs of carpets? And do you think that the community has settled down or have they chose their camps and teams and they're just not paying attention to each other anymore? What do you guys think? It really seems, or I don't know. It was one of the first shows I was on, but I said something about there being a divide. And it just seems like that divide has become greater. And now each divide has subgroups of people. And it's like one subject will set, well, you guys have seen it. It's like one day it'll be fine. And then one thing is said. And it's like every side is fighting over something. I personally have stopped on Facebook for the most part. Um, if it didn't involve me at answering questions for designer exotics or being on Messenger, I probably wouldn't have one anymore. Um, I'm moving more towards creating my own kind of moderated social net, not social network, but way that we can communicate with each other outside of Facebook entirely. I, I can't stand Facebook anymore. Agreed. Yeah. Death to Facebook. I, you know, damn it, it it's, it's bad because it's, good and good because it's bad. I mean, it's the easiest way to remember people's birthdays and stay connected with, you mm-hmm. know, college roommates and stuff like that. So there's utility in it. Don't get me wrong, but man, keyboard warriors came up fast and God damn it. I hate people like that. And, you know, like Terrell said, if it weren't for, you know, the, my Riley's reptiles page and being able to keep in touch with people that I might not have your phone number. goddamn right. I would get rid of Facebook. Like, dude, sucks so hard and you know it's, yeah, everybody sits there and can swing a big axe but everybody's a goddamn expert and it dude <laughs> I don't I think Facebook is beyond saving I think uh, is yeah it's gone um, I think we just the only way to stop the drama is get off Facebook yeah what about you Owen uh, necessary evil, unfortunately. It yeah. is the top leading social network, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's on it, including, you know, all the way down from my father and stuff like that to, you know, reptile people. I talk to Eric and Matt probably almost on a daily basis through it. Um, it makes everything exceedingly easier. Rogue's Facebook page. Uh, keeps me up to date on that uh, pick of the week. Plus, it's really easy to kind of just notice what the hell is going on around the world. Where a forum would totally did that, uh, you know, MP was definitely that. Um, Facebook just brings my reptile community and my personal life all in one handy dandy place. Um, I will admit that the keyboard warriors are a little bit more brazen when it is on the Facebook as opposed to a forum. A forum kind of almost feels like you need to, to earn your spot to speak and be a total jerk, where Facebook, it doesn't matter, you know, which that could just come from it being your own personal thing. 
and you being anybody is able to create a page, and we already covered that. So uh, as far as I go, um, I don't post too much anymore. I mean, I'll post a picture up on the page of the week every once in a while. Um, you just kind of get annoyed when you, know, you post up your animal that you're proud of and somebody underneath you that says something really nasty to you about it um, or fires back with, that's cool, but look at mine. Well, nobody gives a crap about yours. It was my post, but whatever. So it just kind of is like that. Um, I'll just check out everybody else's stuff and talk to the few people that I talk to but and list my own animals, but I'm not the kind of guy that lists the same python on every single classified page on Facebook. I'll usually post, list all of them on Rogue's Facebook page and then put a link to my for sale ads on a few things and leave it be. But eh, unfortunately, you're never going to get rid of it. So, do you think we'll ever? Itself. Do you think we'll ever move away from Facebook classifieds and move toward? I mean, we had a scare with it a few months ago. I think everybody was like, was "Oh no, market. you can't sell animals." Um, well, there's a there's a Facebook market now or something like that, right. which I don't know about you guys, but every time I click on that, it still takes me to my classified site. So it'll show me like stuff that's available on for sale sites around my area. Plus, hey, somebody posted on this classified site. Do you want an alligator? I'm like, no. So that whole it's no animals in the market thing, I have no idea what the hell they were talking about. So, yeah, but what I'm saying is, do you think that it'll ever move away from that and more towards uh, like uh, King Snake again? Not until Facebook does something drastic like outlaws all animal for sale groups or Facebook itself dies and is replaced by something that is not as like, you know, how Facebook take over for MySpace or something like that. So if that happens and Facebook moves on to something else, and we don't like it, then we'll shift back over. And King Snake still has its uses. I still get, um, I still post for sale ads on King Snake and Fauna because I still get some people who just check out that site. Because um, the other problem is, is that no matter what, unless I'm a member of every single reptile group out there, I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna miss for sale ads. So having a for sale ad on King Snake or Fauna is like everybody checks their own little. Morelia group for sale stuff and then I'll go over to Kingsnake and Fauna to check out what's going on in other worlds. Like I was looking at heel monsters for a while. I was looking at Colubrid stuff. So, you know, it's uh, I don't even, I don't want to be a member of a Facebook Colubrid group because then every week I'm going to get a notification when someone's trying to sell a corn snake for 10 bucks. So I don't think we're going to go back to those as the primary but I don't think they're going to go away. Agreed. So, hmm. there you go. Okay. I'm sorry, Eric. The forums aren't coming back. You're, we're gonna have to just have that come to reality moment. I had never said anything about forums. What are you I talking know, about? I know. I'm just saying. It's. I'm just saying. <laughs> you say. You say that every time. <laughs> I know. I have to keep reminding you. Yeah. Yes. We'll make sure yes. everything's okay. Yes. Right. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> Um, I I don't really know if the community has settled down or not because I just don't mm. really pay attention to it. To be honest, I I don't. 
It could be on virtual for you. Right <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I, like I said, I'm less and less I go on Facebook. I just, again, I just, I, I'm so tired of the closed-minded people. You know, I, I'm just, I, it's just, it's, you know, you can't have an opinion. Um, I think that, I think that sometimes when you have a debate and you disagree, I, I find, I, I like to play devil's advocate a lot of times. And I think that that yeah. pushes a conversation forward rather than, you know, because if you don't challenge somebody, you know what I mean? How, I don't know. It just gives me a better understanding of, of what their point is going to be. I'm, I, I hate to go like politics, but like, you know, it just seems like when you're looking at politics, people will say, rather than say what you're going to do, they say what the other person isn't going to do. You know what I mean? So like my focus has been, I'm just going to focus on what I do rather than worry about what somebody else does. And if you care about that, then here I am. And if you don't, then so be it. I'm not, I'm not going to wear, I'm not going to trash somebody else to make myself be better. If that makes sense, you know, Um, I get that. And I guess the last question that I would say is how do you get more people to appreciate carpet pythons? Uh, You know, what's your thoughts on that? What do you guys think? That'll be our closing, closing remarks. And we'll, cause we're almost out of time anyway. So good. We'll start (laughs) with you Terrell. I think for the newer generation that Riley and myself would be in, we have to start actually caring more about the animals themselves than their actual monetary value. Because when you, like with Tiger Jack, it took a long time to make what we ended up with, and everybody appreciated that animal. Now, if you show somebody a tiger drag, yeah, it's cool. Like, there's no, the sense of working for something seems to be gone. It's just, hey, I made the snake. Hey, the snake's for sale. That's, that's all it is. There's no actual pride in working with these animals. So we got to get more people to a place where, like, I get excited when Riley texts me because he's excited that, you know, he got this animal. He's stoked. He's telling me what his projects are going to be, and then they grow up, and then he's actually pairing them together. Like, I'm happy for him. I'm not working with him. It's not my project, but as a community, we get excited together. And I think there's less and less of that. Agree. Riley? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree entirely. The only other thing I would add on that is um, the morph craze. I hate to bring it back around to that, but people don't care about the natural wild type. And, you know, to me, if you don't care about the natural wild type, and you, like I'm looking at two just pretty standard IJs right here, and I find them absolutely beautiful. They're not morphs, and I don't think I'd, you know, get rid of them just because they're not morphs. And I think if people can't appreciate, you know, a natural wild type, you know, maybe that's not the species for you. And, you know, you can appreciate the morphs and stuff and you can have the morphs, but I think if all you care about is the morphs, if all you care about is just like having the next best thing and you're just power, powering through the species, you know, we just need to get back to, you know, appreciating what every el- everyone else is doing, not having to be the first one to do something and just, you know, really get down to what it means to 
working with a species you like. I like carpets because the first jungle I saw caught my eye, and I know it's emphasized for the yellow and whatnot, and it's not, you know, quite as natural as they are, but that thing is, you know, more or less a natural animal. And I got bit in the face by a few of them, and I'm, like, even more stoked. Like, yeah, that's a species for me. If I'm getting nailed by an animal, I'm like, screw this, I'm done. You know, it's like maybe that wasn't, you know, the animal I'm ultimately passionate about. And I think people really need to look at what they're working with and really ask themselves, like, is this something that I like or am I in it for different reasons? I think that's kind of where it comes down. Cool. Owen? Owen? Did we lose Owen? Hold on, I muted muted myself. Hold on. (laughs) Anyway, um, what I think you need to do to get more people drummed into into the community is obviously start a podcast and open up something (laughs) called Carpet Fest. And after you've done these things, you can sit back and go, I've done shit to bring people in the community. There you go. But no, um, it's just to get out there and talk about it. Be excited about it. If you're not excited about it, get the hell out. You know, if these are the animals you really want to talk about, bring them to a show. You know, sit down and when you're trying to sell your babies, bring one of your adults. But don't just let the adult sit there. Break it out of the adult container. Let it kind of slide around. Talk to people about it. Get people enthused about it. Let them pet it. All that other stuff. Do educational programs with the carpet pythons. Uh, talk about other people. Talk to friends. Get to know other people in the reptile community. Um, my Friend Andrew, one of my very best friends, totally breeding monitors, totally into monitors, doesn't really like snakes too much. Fred Boas, he's had enough of snakes. He says that when I produce rough scales, he wants a pair because I kept, I let him raise my ruffies for like a month, and he's like totally in love with them. So that just happens. So you do that just by talking and being passionate. If you're not passionate, figure something else out. Yeah, I think uh... – my thought would be um, it's up to the guys that have been in it a little longer um, to make sure that they stay as stoked about it as they were a long time ago. And I think that if you do that about certain things, um, then other people will be excited, you know, if they're into carpet pythons. But I think I think when we focus on negativity – I think sometimes that turns people away um, that may have, because I think one of the things that originally brought me to carpet pythons was not just the snakes, but it was like this added bonus that the community was so awesome. You know, you would go on other forums and, you know, there would be fighting about, you know, all these bullshit stuff and you would go on MP and although there was debates and sometimes very heated debates, it was always about, the animal and you know um, how to take care of it how to breed it different thoughts whether it's pure or not pure all these things Um, I don't know I I just think that sometimes just like I think you said Terrell about the tiger jag is you know a while ago that was an awesome animal and I think that sometimes we take that for granted um I remember a dream was to have an albino and now that we have it where I have it, 
you know, I'm just as excited about that, you know, as I was back when I first, you know, wanted one or saw one. Um, I mean, a huge majority of my collection is just IJs. And I'm telling you, man, in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, people are going to be looking at IJs like they look at jungles. And, you know, everybody discounts everybody them. But I'm telling you, man, I mean, I know Terrell and Riley are with me. Um, oh, yeah. But the, the selective reading that's going to be put into them. And, you know, I mean, with a jungle, you get two colors. With an IJ, you get a little more palette to work with. And um, yep. there's tons of potential there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not even a morph. It's not even a morph. Just some selective breeding. Um, and I think that we have to get back to those kind of products. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.